What's up, podcast world? Back at you again. Did y'all go to NAWTC.com and check out the North American Whitetail Championships yet? Get signed up. $300 for your chance to qualify and be entered to win $50,000 cash money. It's uh, 14 different regions across America and Canada. It's all archery. It's going to be for the hunting season of 2019. It's brought to you by Michael Waddell and Bone Collector, as well as Wicked Outfitters in the great state of Kansas. My good buddy, Clint Walker, has come up with this this contest with his business partner, Steve Schmidt, and I'm loving it, guys. It's going to bring deer hunters across the country together in a competition style. Stay ethical. Stay safe out there. It's the North American Whitetail Championships brought to you by Bone Collector. Get signed up right now at NAWTC.com and tell them Chad Belding and the Foul Life and Banded Crew sent you. It's going to be a great experience. On today's episode, we're getting revisited by one of my good buddies, one of my training partners, one of the baddest athletes that come out of the state of Nevada, um, probably of all time, Joey Gilbert, professional boxer. He's an attorney at law now. And I wanted to bring him back in just to talk about what's going on. Uh, since I talked to him last time and kind of get some of his views right along the same lines that I was talking with Scott Shaleen about a couple weeks ago with the fight game and what's going on within the fight game as well as entrepreneurial stuff. And I also wanted to talk to him a little bit more about college sports and what's going on with the University of Nevada Reno College boxing team locally here and um, what he's doing locally with some of his training and training younger athletes. So Joey, welcome back. Thank you for having me back, Chad. I appreciate the opportunity to come back on your podcast. What uh, Did you come straight from the office? I did. I was working today. I've um, just got different clients in and out, so just did, tackled on a few different little uh, client issues and then shot out here you know, with my lunch in tow, and here I am. So what is this? This is a – you see um, – I see Sage – Northcut is promoting these. You're not the same company. Uriah Faber is working with a company called Trifecta. This sure. company's called what? This is Roundabout uh, Catering. It's here locally in Reno. At the end of the day, I mean, I'm busy. Um, I want to eat right. Sometimes the f- there's like four or five restaurants, honestly, in town that I want to go to or that I try to go to because of the way they cook, the way they keep their grill. All that stuff matters to me, and I and sometimes you just can't do that. So planning is everything, especially as you know, as an athlete, as as a businessman. I just take that that little part out of the out of the equation by having some meals prepped for me. They're dropped off at the office, and I bring some home, and I've always got a, a meal ready to eat. So what do you do? Go on there and just say, these are the meats that I enjoy. These are the veggies I enjoy. And then they combo them. Or you, 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 you really can customize anything. You can go on their, uh, you go on their website and you just say what you like, what you don't like. Like, I don't like pork and I don't like fish. And that goes back just to my boxing days. I just, once you eat tilapia in the morning with Tabasco sauce to cut weight, you just can't, I just can't even be around <laughs> fish right now. So it's been 10 years. I still can't. Not even sushi. With, I just, no, man. I just, I, I want to, you know, I don't know. I'm not into fish right now. I'll have salmon or something like that, but I mean, certain fish right now I can't do. So when you say that there's five, four or five, whatever restaurants in this local area, um, I know that there's other people with that same kind of mentality that you're talking about, but so you literally will only eat out at these five specific restaurants based on experience customer service but more so on the way that they keep their grill the ingredients that they cook with and they're qualified because they're they're more nutritional qualified for your diet 
all kinds of things from like, is, you know, if I do have a piece of salmon or a piece of fish, you know, or, 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 or beef, I'm going to be that guy that asked, is it grass fed? Is it antibiotic free? Is it, you know, I'm, I'm, is it wild caught? Is it farm fed? I do that stuff. And so there's a bunch of places in town. There's a bunch of, there's a bunch of places in any town. You just got to look for them that are that, you know, that their menus are fresher. They, they work with organic, you know, grown farmers and whatnot. And then there's a couple of the casinos that I'll go to that I've been to, you know, Eldorado is one of them. Like I'll, I'll go to Roxy and I never have an issue there, but then there's the quick lunch places where you want a salad and a protein, you know, to go on top of that salad or on top of that vegetable. And as you were just talking about with Matt Pendola not too long ago, <clears throat> I think planning your meals and making sure you've got good, wholesome food is, is everything. You can't, you can't outwork a bad diet. So I think, you know, if, if people just take from that, almost anybody that we know, you and I know, could be the exact shape they want to be in if they just ex- exercised a little bit more discipline. And that's really, at the end of the day, all it comes down to. I mean, I, I hear it every day and people say, you do this, you do that. No, 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 no. I eat food that might not be as, as enjoyable as the burger and fries and, and a milkshake, but it's going to give me the fuel I need. It's going to make me feel good. And like I said, you cannot outwork a bad diet. So if you eat bad, then you're wasting your time. And again, you know, it's all the fuel you put in your body. And so this right here, prime example is it's a vegetable. It's got protein on it. It's got the salad dressing on it. It actually tastes great. And as you know, once you start eating well, you stop craving all that other all that other garbage, and it's way easier to eat clean. Do you ever do you ever eat bad? Do you do you get a cheat meal here and there? Do you ever give in to an in and out double double? Well, let me, let me say this absolutely. I think we all do, but I think one of the things I've learned, and you learn this getting older, that you, you, your cheat meal cheat meals have to go greater distances. Meaning, when I was a fighter, I could have a cheat meal, and it was out of my system in twenty four to thirty six hours. Now I go eat a bunch of BS and I mean, I'm hurting for seven days. I literally wake up the next day feeling hungover. Like your body is not used to those chemicals, to that type of, you know, just food in your system. And so those are few and far between. But even on my cheat days, I, I stay away from certain things. Have you heard of the, this restaurant that, uh, and I know you have, I don't, I can't remember the name of it. It's down off a of double diamond South Meadows in kind of that, um, what was the, what, what was, a, there's a flowing tide here and then there's the other bar and grill right here across the street, south of the flowing tide there on, and then Something it's in, it's in the, sh- it's in the shop. Gold. Yeah. It's in the shop goes or that shopping center just to the Southeast of there. And it's, it's bountiful garden or. Uh, oh no, they have one of those grateful gardens. They have another garden. one of those downtown as well. Have Say, you eaten there? I've eaten there. I that mean, place is legit. Their salmon is legit there. And then he's got a soup company too, where he delivers soups to a bunch of different stores and mini marts and restaurants across around here. Neil Fincher, you know, mm-hmm. Neil, he, inter- he introduced me to that place. Yeah. You know, I think, like I said, it's, you know, there, there are a lot more options out there today than there ever were, especially even through the apps, you can order stuff from Grubhub and they'll go to places that are good. I just think it's a matter of thinking about it, man. It really is. There's so many more options today to eat healthy than, you know, you would think of, you just got a plan. I mean, it's very hard, you know, for those of us that can afford it. Like, I mean, I, I go to Whole Foods anytime and make a big salad, but then when you add that up over a three, four or five day period, you know, on that hot food, you're gonna spend a hundred bucks eating at Whole Foods a few times. And so, you know, I think being smart, like right now I'm sharing this meal plan with a few um, people in my office, people in my staff members, just because I'm trying to encourage everybody to eat healthy. I also sponsor a gym membership at Fitness, uh, Fitness for 10, where I pay for their memberships because I really truly believe that performance starts there. If you're putting 
crap, you know, fuel in your body, what kind of performance you're going to get out. And then for people that want to argue that with me, if I say, okay, then let's go pour chocolate milk in your truck out there and see how well it runs today. You know, they want to talk. It's, it truly is that, you know, and that's also goes down to how those people function, how they perform in the office. So for me, making sure my, my staff members try to eat well and get a good uh, exercise regimen in is, is important. Do you look down on overweight people? I definitely don't look down on them. I have, I really feel for them because let me just tell you this, you know, we're in a society now where the, these big food manufacturers, these big companies, they're preying on people. You, you, once you get in that hole, it is so hard to get out of that hole. I mean, you, you know what I'm talking about. We have access to the, the very, I think the very finest trainer probably in, 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 in America or one of them just because of his dedication to educa education. And he's always learning. He's always evolving. He's always implementing. And so we have access to that. How hard is it still after missing a couple days and having a bad meal to get back in there and get on the program? Okay. Put yourself 20, 30 pounds overweight, you know, working that nine to five job. You got three kids, you know, they're, I mean, like, well, when are you going to work? When are you going to have that time to work out? You know, when are you going to have that time to get this healthy meal? So you're at a disadvantage. I actually feel, you know, there's a lot of compassion in my heart. I see people, especially when I see them trying to lose weight, you know, I'm that guy that doesn't pull punches that'll walk up to them on the treadmill and be like, Hey, you know, uh, if you put this incline up a little bit and, and increase this just by a little bit and get that deeper sweat going, you'll burn some of that fat. And, you know, sometimes these people don't, you know, don't like, don't appreciate that. And some of them will come to me afterwards and say, Hey man, thank you for that. So, I mean, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't look down on them, but I definitely feel the, the compassion to, to want to say something and, and, and encourage them to like, you know, like it's hard to see that person uh, come in every day and they're eating crap and then they're drinking a diet coke and they think that the diet coke is helping it's like no it's it's the pizza dude dipping in the ranch and the diet coke. I mean, like you're you're doing like that's nothing right. the least of your worries is that diet coke yeah. you know so again it's just education and again you know the stuff is out there and i just think that the food companies out there that prey on our on our population in in, in america we were, there's nothing proactive. It's all reactive medicine. So you don't see health and wellness. You know, it, you see it, you just don't see it being pushed nearly as much as, as the, uh, the bad stuff. When I you think. go into a business negotiation, when you go into a client meeting, when you go into a potential investment opportunity, which I want to talk to you about the new one that I just saw you doing with the candle company, um, person across the table from you is obese, overweight. We have an obesity problem. This is what the prior podcast of this was just all sure. about. Do you take them serious from the beginning? Can you get ingrained with a person? Do you lose respect for them right away when you see that they're not taking care of their body? Or do, is there such thing as the CEO mentality where the most part where you see successful people in your line of business and in, and in your travels and in your success in life, are most of them cut from that same cloth to where they take care of themselves first and then that spreads like what it's doing in your office with the meal prep plan, the sponsored gym memberships? Or does Joey Gilbert look at somebody and go, I can't really even take you serious because you're obviously not even dedicated to yourself. Does that ever cross your mind? Um, or is is, is that is that unfair to say? No, absolutely not. That that's not the first thing to go through my mind. I usually want to you know talk to them, get to know them. Usually, everyone's got a got a a reason, a story, an issue, a fact, something that I'm very perceptive. I want to take it all in. Sometimes people and sometimes they'll be straight up with you and say, you know, I'm going through a tough time or I'm going through this. You'll look in their picture on the wall and you'll see them shredded, and you know, you know, at one time, I don't think anybody 
ever wishes to be obese or be so out of out of shape that they're afraid to go out in a bathing suit that they mean that no no one could say that if they're saying that it's tough for them to swallow but everyone wants to feel comfortable feel loved feel accepted so right away i just try to you know like i said take a step back listen to them hear them out but i will say this when i when i do notice those lazy habits with people when i see someone eat like a legitimate slob when i see them spilling stuff all over their 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 shirt because they can't slow down and they're just they're they're just not very you know they don't very take very good care of themselves yeah that that might that might affect me you know that might be someone that that i would think i would question their attention to detail i'd question you know the, how how they measure themselves the bearing they keep and that's you know that comes from a lot of backgrounds but no not off the bat for but sure we talked about you in the podcast today as far as your wiring system you know joey gilbert personally is <clears throat> your wiring system probably would never allow you even though you did get a little heavy in your life with one with with a medical issue at one time, I don't think your wiring system would allow you to let it get out of hand to the point to where your your upbringing, your dad was a drill sergeant, your athletic career going all the way to, to world champion in boxing and, and winning several titles and belts. A, a lot of athletes you see get to that point too, to where they're like, dude, I've already lived that life. I've already been there and been, you know, and then they do get overweight and out of shape. And then it's almost like, can they get back to it once they get that far? Is it, is it just your mentality on life to where you look better, you perform better, you feel better, you sleep better, you parent better, Absolutely. you friend better? Everything is but, everything starts with your well-being and your mindset. And, and, and then take it a step further, Joey. Aesthetically, how much does vanity play into it with you as well? Well, I'll just say, I'll just say to start backing up a little bit, you know, self-worth, self-love, self-confidence is so important. I mean, I don't care what anyone says, man. And if you, and if you love yourself and you feel that you're at your best and you're heavier and you're, and you're good with that and you feel like you can perform the best that you can, then that's one thing. But me, the inside of me, my heart, my, my body knows that in order for me to perform at my optimum levels, to be the best for my daughter, to be the best for my business, to be the best for my family, I have to be right. And to be right for me is to be disciplined, is to have energy, is to have you know, the ability to perform, to, to beat my daughter up the hill, to ski with her all day, to not be the one slouched over tired on the couch because of what I'm putting in my body. So for me, it's all, it's very analytical. It's, a, it's I do this for this result. X, Y, and Z to get to that. And so for me, no, it's, it's, it's something that's, it's a lifestyle. You know I mean? I don't let myself get like that because I know I won't be able to perform at the same levels that if I stay, if I maintain my bearing and maintain my discipline, I keep my cardio in place. I keep my diet in check. I'm going to be healthier. I'm going to be that much better. And if I can show up every day, if I can show up every day in that, in that 80 to hundred percentile, then, then we're going to win, you know, we're going to do well. And again, if you don't, if you see yourself and you, and you, and you don't take care of yourself and you don't eat right and you don't, you don't get the performance and the energy out of your body and you're in, in those subpar levels, it's going to affect you across the board. So for me, it's all my relationships. It's how I treat my friends. It's how I treat my staff. If I wake up and I'm in a bad mood and I don't eat and I don't get a workout in and I go into the office with a, with a, with a shitty attitude, How's that going to, how's that going to carry across leadership rots from the top down? So there are many days and these come back to my Tony Robbins days where I'm in my car with the music playing doing yes, yes. I mean, I'm getting myself ready to go, just go into my office. Why? So my staff sees me, I don't look like I'm just, you know, I'm miserable. I have to show up to work. I'm stuck here with you people. No, I'm the, I'm, I'm the guy. 
Like I'm setting the tone. So sometimes, yes. I mean, all last week I was sicker than hell. We had the boxing nationals, which we'll get to coming into town. I've been working with those kids for six months. There was no way I was missing that. I had packed days. There was no way I was missing that. So what did I do? I mean, I, I loaded up on the vitamins. I did my immunity drinks. I did my green drinks. I ate right. I made it down to the sauna, the stretch. No one saw me in the gym all week. I was conserving energy. But then I got out there and crushed it. And I went home a hurting little puppy but rehydrated, drank my coconut water, took my greens again, did my broth and, and went to bed. And I think that, you know, that's, that's the life, that's the mindset you have to have. The mindset of like, look, you know what? I know what's going to help me do well versus I know what's not going to help me do well. It'd be no different than going on a hunt, not bringing all the stuff you need to successfully hunt. What's the point? You know, you get out there, you're missing this, you're missing that. So I see the same thing in life is you've got to plan. You've got to have the right, the right ingredients, the right materials, the right fuel, so that you can get that optimal performance. And then as far as <clears throat> the, what you expect out of yourself daily, you're saying that in so many words, is that you expect a certain level of professionalism, of standards, of expertise, of um, everything that you do in your life, you've done to the fullest extent. Like you don't cut corners, right? So <clears throat> at now, at your age now, you're 40, 41, somewhere in there, 42. right? 42 yeah. years old. How much of it is vanity for us now? Like I see myself on TV. I have to see myself on TV. Every time I turn around, I'm on TV being edited in the studio or I'm do I'm on a show or I'm on a get, you know, guest hosting something else. And that plays a huge role and it affected me. It's been that way for 10 years now. Cause when I started seeing myself from a different angle and how other people see me or perceive me, the perception of me, I was like, man, I, I really am not, I'm not happy. And to this day, as hard as I work in the gym, as hard as I work at a good nutrition plan and trying to stay as disciplined as I can, I know I still make mistakes like drinking this diet Coke. You're giving me shit. I can't be, I can't do everything the way Joey Gilbert does it. And you don't do everything the way I do it. But I find myself now like the mirror is, I, I'm not going to have, I don't want to say like, I want to throw away the mirror. I, I, I do a lot of things based on the, my physical appearance now and wanting to look better because it makes me able to go out into society or on camera or in a seminar or a speech or whatever. And I feel better about myself because I looked in the mirror. I'm like, man, you look, you look better. And I don't think that it's that mentality that I'm a badass or I'm looking good or I'm a male. I'm not saying that. I'm not comparing myself to freaking Brad Pitt. I'm simply saying that vanity, I believe people say I'm not vain at all. I'm not vain. I don't care what I look like. That's bullshit. Like, I don't think that you can go into society or into work or into anything that you do during any given day and not want to look your best and not look, you know, not feel your best. Is, does vanity play a big role in it for you? I think what plays a big role in it for me is that there should be nothing wrong ever with wanting to put your best self forward for want, for knowing what you look like when you or when, when you feel good about yourself and when you feel the energy in your body and when you feel the response from the environment around you because you're a vibration, if you want to get down to it for real, and it's because you're connected, it's because you're in shape, it's because you feel good. And I don't think there's anything wrong with, wrong with wanting to maintain that. And for me, absolutely, I want to look a certain way. I was an athlete. I believe that, you know, for me, maintaining that, that edge, maintaining that look like I take care of myself, like I make sure I consistently get to the gym, I, I moderate my diet you know, accordingly. I, that's an important thing for me. It says a lot. It says it, it, it's how I carry myself. So for me, I think this is, I would say there's, yeah, sure, there's some vanity into it, but it's also holding myself accountable. I know how I perform when I'm at a level. I can see myself on TV too. First of all, cam camera always ends, you know, five, 10 pounds always does. Makes you look a little chubby 
of ears, so it's always good, you know, hit the sun before you go on, you know, all the tricks, right? <laughs> so anyway, that, that kind of stuff makes a big deal to me. But I also do notice, you know, I mean, come on, let's go back to the Deion Sanders day. What do we used to say? Okay, baby, so if you look good, you feel good. You feel good, you play good. You play good, they pay you good, baby. That's the same. Nothing's changed, right? You look good, you feel good. You look good, you feel good. And that's the truth, man. And, look, and looking good can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. Maybe it isn't you're not so heavy. Maybe it's that you have ripped. For me, I don't need to have a 12-pack a anymore. I don't have to. For me, it's knowing that I don't have a little pooch belly, you know, belly. I don't have any love handles, you know, and that I, and that I know I can go out and run a 5K or something like that and make it. You know what I'm saying? For me, my, it's totally changed. You know, it's totally changed on what I consider, but I also know where I want to be, where my levels to be, to feel optimum are, and how I feel like I can perform versus I know I can't when I'm, when I'm a lazy, you know, out of shape, sitting on the couch, you know, not very energetic person. How, how hard was it to make that transition from being the man as far as stepping in through those ropes? And, and taking that responsibility to entertain a crowd after a training camp that was as rigorous as life can get, whether it was medical, whether it was diet, whether it was training, whether it was massage therapy after, whether it was prevention of injury, how hard was it for you to make that transition? Because now I see like in your life, your daily life, your daily grind, your, your business and your brands that you're growing, your investments that you keep getting involved in, you are still a competitor, but how hard was it? For Joey Gilbert to finally go, you know what? I'm not a boxer anymore. I'm not. I know you're still a boxer. That's That was worded wrong. But do you miss the competition? Do you miss oh, throwing man. punches and knocking somebody's teeth out? Oh. How, how how hard is it? Or is it was it an easy deal for you to say, I'm done? No, it was not an easy deal. I, I miss it more than I could ever probably articulate in words here on a podcast. And I'll just say this to any of those fellow athletes out there listening you know, man, just, just love it. Love what you do right now. If, if you've got a sport that you can be passionate in right now and you're with your brothers or, or you're with people that you get to train with, enjoy it, soak it up. Cause there's no, there's no, there's no greater feeling on this earth than getting in and performing than truly being a glad and in boxing, I'll take fighting MMA and boxing. We tie any of those sports uh, in the same grain is that, you know, there's no greater feeling than climbing into that cage or climbing into that ring and having it shut or having to, you know, and you, you just know it's you and him. And, and there's no, there's no frigging timeouts. There's no, there's something in my eye. I got no, I mean, no man, it's a fight, dude. There's no break. There's no nothing. And, and, and the goal is to try and disable your opponent, right? To knock him out or to leave him in, in a, in a submit him or something like that. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's hard to switch those gears, I will forever miss that. And I, again, I'll just say to those guys out there that are still having the, the, the absolute honor of, of competing and doing what they love, stay in it, you know, stay, stay fit, stay happy, stay on top of your game. But, um, no, it was, it was a tough, it was a tough change, Chad. I mean, come on. I spent, you know, four or five hours a day in training. You know, you wake up, it was a, it was a run on an empty stomach with a cup of black coffee. I, you know, I fought at 160 pounds, maintained that weight my entire career. It wasn't easy to do. Then you're having your small little meals, something before my first training session where I'd go and do my hardest, my hardest training. So I do my sparring. Then I'd come back, get some, get some lunch, lay out by the pool, get some sun, maybe get a little work done, you know, massage or something like that. Then I was back to my, you know, afternoon session, which was a sharp sharpening session, pad work, drill work, going through it. And I finished every single night, entire my career career with a six mile run every single night for except for Sunday and on one of those nights I did I mean one of those days sometimes Saturdays I did more distance and so when you do that for the better part of almost 12 or 13 years 
it's, it's hard to shut that off. I felt like my body, you know, still yearns for it, still misses it. And sometimes gets frustrated with me when I'm sitting all day, you know, behind a computer or in a courtroom. And so it's hard. It's definitely a hard change. But I think, you know, like, like you as you and I have found getting in places, getting in the right fitness you know, program with the right fitness people and being able to do functional training. We're not just pushing weights around. We're not lifting stuff. We're throwing things. We're, we're pushing sleds. We're dragging stuff. We're spinning ropes. We're hanging upside down. That kind of stuff is what is what I needed to do the transition over. And so it's been because I've been with someone like Pendola Training since 2006 now, uh, Matt Pendola, um, that I've been able to, you know, make that transition. I think that was very helpful. And do you think that, do you think that people like Uriah Faber, when you said enjoy it as long as you can cherish it. And I, I feel the same way when I see, when I was at spring training a couple of weeks ago in press in Arizona and Scottsdale and Phoenix, I was just like, man, baseball field, the smells, the, the, the sound of that bat hitting the ball, you know, all that, it just brought oh, back all absolutely. that, you know, and I'm just like, man, I miss it. I would, I would do it. And I still feel that like I can, I, I'm not saying I can get in there and compete. I'm just saying like, I want to get in there and, and participate. Sure. Right. And do you think somebody like you, I don't know if you've been paying attention to what Uriah is doing, but Uriah is getting ready to go overseas and do this grappling thing. And then I guess from what I hear, and I don't have concrete evidence, but I heard that he entered USADA again and that he's coming back in. I don't know if it's going to be Bellator or one after he got retired, said that that fight in the new convention or the new uh, center there in downtown Sacramento was hey, his hey, last hey, fight. Hey, hey, let's just start this right now. Let Uriah do whatever the hell he wants to do, man. He's one of the best athletes ever in the game in MMA uh, he's still got plenty of fire left if he and let me tell you let me tell you something else that's even you know people are starting to see across the board some of these guys train so damn hard your eye favor being one of them that they overtrained and they worked out so hard that this time off that they've been giving them probably best thing he did was retire and I would not be surprised at all if he came back and put a hurting on anybody at his weight class at any time because he's got that experience and he brings a level of the game that you can't teach you can only get through experience ring generalship in boxing but cage generalship in what he does and his wrestling background his ability to push his cardio his mus muscle memory I would put Uriah Faber in against anybody any day of the week if he's in that top shape again and his cardio is right. And I, and I don't blame him, man. I say go make some more money. Go go do what you need to do. Lo if you love it that much, you still see him even, cornering even all after, those guys. Even after your concussions, even after all the shots to the head, even after Uriah's injuries, even after his even after everything that he went through, Couture fighting at 48, Dan Henderson fighting at 45, 46, you don't see anything wrong with the, the battering of the body after they retire and they come back. My, my whole thought process was how it's so hard to stay retired. These fighters always end up coming back after they retire. Tyson, well, you know, a lot of them did it. Yeah, they, they do. But let me just say this. I think MMA, you're going to see guys get away with being able to come back. I mean, look at Anderson Silva to come in and give that guy the kind of fight he did. I mean, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. I think your eyes experience concussions aside. I mean, I, you're talking to someone who retired after a concussion, December, you know, December 2000, excuse me, September, 2010, after a fight at the GSR, I felt cloudy for a few days. I knew I had had a concussion. I had numerous of them. Most of them I had in training, you know, definitely there's 10 fights. I could tell you in four of them, my nose was shattered. So if obviously I had, if it's enough to shatter a nasal, a nasal fracture, you probably got a concussion, but still all that being said, I'd, I'd fight again in not in a minute. If I had the opportunity, if I was still in shape, if I was in Uriah's position where he's got gyms, he's got access to the top level guys, he's still got his coaching staff around him and he's got, you know, he's, he's, he's mentally still right. I mean, if that's what he loves to do, 
Who, who are we to tell him no? So he can get killed on the I-5 in, a, in, a, in an accident so some drunk driver can hit him so he can get cam. I mean, there's, there's so many things. I think you got to live for today. And I think if that's what, he, if that's what his heart's telling him, he just had a, he just had a baby. If, if it's telling him to go fight, God bless him, man. I, I wish him all the luck in the world. So what would it take to get you back in the ring right now? You know, is there any amount of money that could get a 42-year-old Joey Gilbert back in the ring? You want to know what, man? It's not the money. It, I mean, well, actually, that's bullshit. Obviously, if there was a, there's no, there's no one up there that would pay the money to see a 42-year-old Joey Gilbert get back in the ring. So I don't have to worry about that. But you know what's so funny is, you know, there's things we take we take for granted. And my daughter now, you know, she's an incredible little athlete. She's almost nine years old. She'll be nine here on May 10th, and she's actually at a tennis academy in Irvine, California, playing six hours of tennis a day. And if I showed you this kid hitting these forehands and the level of commitment she has it's impressive and if there's one thing I would have loved for her to see it would be me preparing for a fight and then entering that ring and seeing dad go to work because the mental game is so important I mean I just cannot stress it enough and as a younger fighter and as a younger athlete it is, it is hard and if you're not nervous you got a problem right? I mean, if you're not feeling those butterflies, then you're just not normal. But being able to use that, to harness it, and to be able to turn that into, into something that you can use as, a, as fuel is, 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 very, is not just tricky, but it takes time, is what I'm saying. And, if, and I feel like I could teach her that. I feel that I could show her that. And I, and I work so much on her mental, her mental game. You know, there's a very good book out there, The Mental Athlete, that Matt Pandola, you know, had me read, you know, a decade ago. And so I've implemented that with my daughter from a young age. And her coaches say to me all the time, you know, She's eight years old, but when we're asking a question on those courts and there's kids up there 19 years old, the first one to raise her hand is my daughter, you know, whether she's got the answer or not, because she's got that confidence. And so I would love to show her what it's like to be mentally tough, to be disciplined, to train for that fight, and then to go in there, execute, and, and win a fight. So outside of that, no, I mean, you know, not getting... Would you want to see... Would you want your daughter see you in a full go, though, where you're... Where Absolutely. You're, you, you wouldn't mind seeing... Not at all. Her seeing you get battered up uh -huh. I mean, first of all, you know, I'm not putting myself in against, you know, some one of the top 10 guys in the world. I'm not fighting Keith, you know, one punch Thurman, you know, one of my homies who, who I used to be in training camp with. That wouldn't even be fair anymore because I've been out of the game for a decade and your reflexes do slow. And that'd be like the equivalent of like, I mean, okay, you, then let's say that your daughter was this age back when you were in your prime. Would you want her? Absolutely. You? No problem. Yeah, absolutely. Really? No doubt in my mind. Absolutely. Yeah. Because Back then, in my mind, I was unstoppable and I wasn't getting hurt anyway. And so, you know what? It's best for her to see it. I went in that ring believing I could win. I prepared like I could win. I went in there to win. And if, you know, if, if the decision came out, you know, wrong, the decision But as came far out. as life goes, that's really what we want to teach our kids is that, that there's the right losses, mental, that there's winning yeah, and losing. There yeah. is going to be failure. No matter how much you prepare, there's going to be ups and downs. And that's, that's a big part of competition and where you've taken your your athleticism and your your comp your competitive spirit now you've turned that into a very successful business career with stuff continuing to grow in all different types of areas and in, in society and and the business community but it, I, it's evident every time you're around you that you want to be fighting still and I, i'm the same yeah. way i don't i just i was talking to the pendoles about it today it's like you can't lose it. You just can't turn it off. It's so... You can't turn it off. You, you want to compete. You don't... Well, because nothing else is going to give... You know, it's like we know, we know now, or I know now, it's very clear to me why athletes, why entertainers end up with these drug problems, end up with these addiction problems. Because once you've walked up there, once you've felt 
the, the, uh, the, the fame, once you've been, once you've electrified a crowd, once you've had all eyes on me and you're out there performing and you know, you got 9,000 people and you're knocking someone out cold and being carried out of the ring by your, your supporters with a belt around your, around your waist. Like I was able to do with Jimmy Lang in Fairfax, Virginia in 2006, February 18th. Why do I remember that day? Cause I remember saying to my entire group, my entire team, that belt's going to be on that mantle tomorrow night. And I remember going and getting it. And I remember putting it on there that night with everybody back in the hotel room. I say, hey guys, look what's up there. And we just sat there and laughed, hugged it out. And I mean, you'll never, you'll never get over that. There's no, there's no, there's no greater feeling. There's no high. And so you, you, you will eternally miss it. And you'll miss, it's that adrenaline rush. I mean, I can imagine you trying to step up to that plate and hit this guy or throwing him. Or, I mean, it's, that's crazy. I mean, like my favorite game, probably one of my favorite movies of all time was For Love of the Game with Kevin Costner. And so I'm always teaching my daughter, clear the mechanism, right? Clear it, you know, showing her how to get that mind right. Well, once you've done that on that level, you know, nothing else feels the same. So, I mean, I go into court and I try to, you know, get that feeling out of there. It's not the same. It's business discussion or negotiation is not the same. You know, the only thing that's the same is, is feeling like you're going to strap it on and, and go in there. Yeah. And I think that it's almost like you're at an unfair advantage in life if you don't have that spirit. Uh, and again, that might be immature or premature to say, because we did, we were, we, our parents got us involved in, in athletics and you, you took a, an individual athletics, which boxing is very team driven. People think it's just an individual sport, but the only thing that's individual about boxing is the final 12 rounds. It's the, the, the training camp and everything that goes in. But what I'm trying to say is that, is it an unfair disadvantage to not have that competitive spirit instilled in you as far as everyday life goes when your when your career's over. If you if you don't if you don't come up playing sports or you at a disadvantage you think against somebody like your daughter that's being told clear the mechanism. 8 years old, she's in you know in competitive in in, in all of these uh tennis sessions with these athletes that are older than her. Is she going to have a more of an advantage in life of being successful, being confident, being somebody that can be relied on? You know, there's a lot that, that goes in to taking that responsibility. It, it, are you at an unfair disadvantage, you think, if you don't have that wiring system? You know, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, there's plenty of people, I'm sure the, the history books are filled with people that might not have been the most competitive people and were very successful. But the answer to your question is, hell yes, I'm expecting my daughter to have the self-confidence and the, and just the ability and, and, you know, and the desire to, to be able to step up to any opportunity and take a whack at it. That's what I, that's what I'm trying to, you know, instill in her. That's why the athletic program for her, I feel is her best, is her best, or is her best bet. Otherwise, otherwise look at your scene today. These kids are spending literally hours and hours on these tablets, on these computers. I feel like they're, you know, I laugh because my daughter's homeschooled, but she spends five and a half hours a day with kids doing kids sports. So I'm always hearing from other parents like, how's your daughter homeschooled? Is she socially awkward? I'm like, go talk to her. You yeah, know, and they yeah. talk to her and they come over, they're like, holy smokes, man. I said, yeah, it's pretty, on, pretty awkward, huh? Yeah. And so, I mean, it's just, you know, there's, there's too many kids in these classes. There's not, they've taken away PE. You can't play sports. Everything's a participation trophy. Like, what's going on? Right. Yeah. So I wanted to make sure for her that she sees like hard work and dedication pays off. Right. You want to be good at something, work hard. Right. And that goes for anything. She takes her piano lessons. She also speaks Spanish. None of that stuff happened overnight. It happened because I said this, first of all, this is what you're going to do. Number one, like my dad did, you're going to do this and you're going to do it till you're 18. And in the meantime, like trust, trust dad, trust daddy. This is going to be good for you. Now she loves it. She loves everything we've gotten her into and she knows she has to work hard at it. And do you think that there is a time in a kid's life that's too early 
to instill that thought process into is there a time where is is eight years old too young to be so driven by by success or learning a second language or becoming a champion where is there fun in that is there is there shouldn't we let them have fun for longer than that joey you know man i don't know all i know is i went and did a study abroad program in turin italy in 1998 and i met kids who who spoke five and six and seven languages so you know, at the end of the day, there's things I think of like that. And for me, I've made it fun for her. So if she's watching a movie or have a TV show, it's in Spanish. And I switched all her iPad stuff up. Sometimes I can't even understand it because it's in Spanish. But you know what? The bottom line is we're always growing. And I don't think there's ever too young of an age to start, you know, challenging your kids to start teaching them, you know, that, like I said, again, nothing comes easy too much. There's too much entitlement right now. There's too much people thinking that like, I deserve this. Why, why do you deserve it? Why do you deserve that? There's a lot of people out there working very, very hard that started with nothing, that busted their butts and got in line and worked hard to get their results. And that's how it's going to be because the first thing that happens is these kids get out in the real world and they and they show up to work and they get fired because they they don't know to be on time. They don't know how to, to, to be straight, show up in the proper attire and they're in their they're, they're, they're dumbfounded. I mean, how do I know this? I've had these kids intern for me. I've had kids come from the university that I've been shocked, you know, asking them for a writing sample, asking them to, to fill out a little application to come work with me or to come intern with me. And, and it's something I wouldn't have turned in at my senior year of high school, let alone, you know, three or four years into college. So I think that, you know what, uh, we, we need to demand more of our kids. We need to be a little bit more, you know, you know, put more of a, of a, of a, of a, plan in place for them because there's just too much distraction out there today. You can you spend three hours. I mean, we can, you and I can plan our social media for two and a half hours and get lost in it. And you know, there's no different for these kids. So I think, you know, you got to practice what you preach. If you're going to, if you're going to talk the talk, you better walk the walk. And I, I again, I'm going to stress that I think that we've seen athletics decline in this country. We've seen active, you know, kids being active. We've seen social communication schools. And so, no, I, I don't think at all it's, it's too much to start putting that in your kids early. So you think that the it's something as simple that it sh- is communication, conversing, absolutely across the table like this, absolutely. So I started this new brand. Um, the box is up there, that orange and brown one. Uh, it's called Jargon. Um, you see the box up there? I'm going to grab yeah, it. I see, it. I see, I see it? it. I see it. Okay, so people are like, oh, it's just another duck call company. I, I, I just I have this conversation with people about when I come up with when I trademark that name. I was like, I miss the days of like going and sitting down and really talking and not thinking that a text was suffice enough, you know, like, sure. It's so easy for me to text Joey and go, Hey, what's up? And then you go, good man, feeling great. And then it's like, okay, well, I talked to Joey, right? Well, no, I really didn't. You really don't, we don't get that anymore. And bigger than that is that when you talk to these kids that are younger than us, you know, that are coming up like 20 to 30 right now. It, you, they have no idea how to do negotiate or sit down and talk. And it's almost like you're dumbfounded. Like I'm really bored right now. I'm really in awe that you have no ability to go back and forth with me. And it's because of exactly what you're talking about, because the entitlement deal in the sense that it's okay just to be on this tablet or on this phone and send a quick message to your mom saying, Hey mom, how you doing? And think that that suffice or being able to get on there and, and communicate with thousands of people at one time on all of the, uh, what, with what these kids, Alyssa was telling me there's this program that you can get on there and, and go back and forth with friends all over the country. I'm like, friends, you even know any of these let, people. Let me, just, let me just back you up with something to say this, something that's pretty incredible. 
First of all, there's now studies showing that that kids um, from ages 9 to 14 are experiencing mass depression because their social media posts aren't getting enough likes because they're not, you know, people aren't, didn't like what they said, didn't like what they did. And I'm just telling you that in and of itself worries me. I'm reading this New York times article, uh, a paper I don't ever read anymore. Just, just to make that clear. So this was quite a few years ago, but it was saying that kids today, and it used the word retarded. So kids today are retarded because they can't hold a simple conversation with Mrs. Smith. Why is that? Remember the house phone would ring. Hey, Mrs. Smith, how are you? Hey, Johnny, how are you? Where's your mom? Oh, she's not here. How's your, do you know? And, and it, they had to actually talk. They actually had to talk on the phone. Yeah. And so now you don't see that anymore. You know, how many times, you know, even me, I had to nudge my daughter. Hey, you know, so, I mean, stuff that was a normal, that us as kids was a normal everyday thing. You had to speak to people. You didn't get to hide behind your keyboard. You couldn't send a text message. You had to call that person up, ask them how they were doing, listen to just as much BS as you did about what you really wanted for. And that, that was it. That was called, you know, having a conversation. And so you don't see that that much anymore, man. And you're right. I mean, how much of our conversation even get here to this podcast? And plus, I mean, we know each other. So I know your sarcasm. You know my sarcasm. So we're able to, you know, still expressly communicate. But it's not like calling up and chatting for a minute. So I, I agree with you 100%, man. And that's where I was going with that jargon is like, it's more of getting back to the, that transparency and that ability to talk because I'm so bored by by most of the way people communicate today. And when I, in, in, in my line of work, I get to, I'm around a lot of people that didn't come up at the same time as we, we were born in the mid seventies. We come up through the eighties and I, I meet these people that are younger than me and I really sit there and go, you really don't have anything to talk to me about. You really don't get it. You'd rather be in this. And then I go, and what, getting back to what you just said about practice, what you preach is that part of business today and branding and marketing and showcasing of product and building a brand and the image of a brand and all that is done through social media. So there is some sense of ignorance if you don't transition into that. And I do want to build brands and I do want to be successful. So I don't want to be ignorant to the fact that social media is there. It is a way of advertising and marketing now, and you cannot deny that. But I also get so irritated with myself personally when I go out to lunch with the guys and I'm still finding time to pick that up and then make the excuse like, well, I got to be on it. I got to be on it. And it's not true, man. Nothing is going to change if I take 60 minutes and look my boys in the eyes and just sit there and talk. And I found myself, you know, in the last two years of doing more and more of this, of these things with social media and thinking that it's simple text was okay. And, and not really getting down in the weeds with anybody anymore. And thank God, and I say this about podcasting, is that it has given me the ability to be able to sit down with somebody like you for an extended period of time, which I feel should be every, I'm not saying that me and you need to sit down every day, but I would like to sit down with a friend every day at Louie's or, or somewhere, you know, local and just, and just, I, I met with Wade Platt this morning. I met with Scott Schleen last week. I'm meeting with Rick Revillio on Monday. I met with Joe DeRico last week. I'm like, man, I love this. This is how it used to be. And then I get on the road and it's just so easy. Send a text. Hey, Dorico, how you been coach? And then I heard his voice. I'm like, man, I haven't heard your voice in so freaking long. It felt so good to sit across that table at a sushi dinner and talk to Joe Dorico and to see what he was up to and what he's going through. And it's totally different than texting. And we know it's funny. You say that too, is, you know, I recently just did this boxing nationals. We know we're going to talk about that. The Nevada boxing nationals, um, excuse me, the college boxing nationals were here in, in Reno and we had one fighter, uh, go ahead and win the whole title. But that being said, I was running into people and we would sit there and say, man, shit, how, how long has it been? 
How long? And because we had been texting, I hadn't seen this person in two years, but it didn't feel like two years. It felt like, you know, six months, eight months. And it was because the check-in, like you just said, it's a boom, boom, boom. You feel like you just talked to him. You see a picture of him. You saw him in Hawaii with their kids. You know, next thing you know, it's, it's been another, another year. They're Hawaiian with their kids again. And you go, wow. And so it's absolutely like that, man. I think today, but I'll just say this though. You know, that's just where this gender, that's just where it's going. That's where communication is driving us. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate, but you either get on board or you're going to get run over by the train. And so guys like you that have brands that you have to, that you're, that you're repping, that have companies that you're some, I mean, you, you, you either do this or you're going to put yourself at a disadvantage. So some of us have to do it. Me as a lawyer, I, I have to be accessible. People have to see me. People want to see me engage in social media posts. People want to see me putting out blogs on certain things. So again, man, I mean, we're preaching to the choir, but I I do, I do now appreciate and have actually missed and sometimes long for that opportunity when, yeah, you put the phone down for, for a minute. I've noticed it more and more. I mean, I will say this. It's one of the things I love about Burning Man, something I go to every year out in the Black Rock Desert. It's just, it feels good that it's like the first time, you know, all year that you don't reach in either one of your pockets to feel for your phone because it's not there. Because you don't have it's the not, pockets because you're naked, Joe. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, I was in some some questionable, you know, garbs that we won't talk about that I've actually had numerous people. But I know what you're saying. Attempt you're to frame you're me. You're disconnected. But yes, you're disconnected and it feels absolutely, oops, excuse me, it feels absolutely wonderful. It just feels so good to not feel like you're tethered to something mm -hmm. and then there your friends are, you're talking about real stuff. So... It's, it, I think it, what you, uh, the other thing that you said that really pisses me off is that a nine-year-old boy or girl could become jealous or envious over somebody's pictures getting more like or a comment being Or made. depressed, not or, jealous, it, envious. You no, know, but it, leads, talking, to the, it yeah. leads to the depression. There, there's mass, it's, it's increased in suicides. It's increased in, of course, more, more, more pharmaceutical companies, you know, making more drugs for kids. It's just, it's, it's systemic. But I mean, the problem is, again, like I said, uh, we need to invest in our outdoors. We need to invest in our sports. We need to invest in our sporting fields and our competition fields and make sure that these kids have these avenues to get out there and do this stuff. I agree hundred percent. I think that I've even heard adults that are trying to become more successful in life to where they're like, I had to get off of Instagram yeah. because I was getting so jealous of people that were doing better than me. And the only reason that they knew they were is because how accessible they're there because everything's happy on social media. It's always the rah, rah, look at me kind of attitude is like, nobody goes on there and really posts a picture of a bad day. They only post the pictures of the good day. And then, and, and there is a sense of like, if you, if you go on there and you see somebody that's achieving something that you're working so hard to do. And now all of a sudden you're like, man, I didn't need to see that today. I didn't need to see it. And then you open it up the next day and then you see somebody else doing the same thing and you don't know if it's real or not. Nobody really knows what's going on unless you sit down with this person and, and get down. Like I say, I use get down in the weeds because I think communication is the number one key to success. I Absolutely. think if you're socially inept or you don't know how to communicate with somebody, your chances of survival or not, I mean, you could survive, but being successful or being real happy without being, having that, mo those, those, is it a motor skill? I don't know. But communication is so important to me. Well, I think you're going to see that too, Chad, right now. What I'm noticing is, like I said, you'll see some of these text messages from these kids. I'm always on my daughter, you know, when she says, you know, me and Liv, it's Liv and I, and I, I'm always correcting her grammar. And I, and I say stuff back to her in her text messages to, to punctuate it properly or to put in the right word. And I think it's, that's a problem. If you can't express yourself, if you can't articulate your position because you don't even know how to, do, what, what words to use, it's not, it's, you know, your spell check's not working fast enough for you. You're going to be in a big, you're going to be in big trouble. And and I've already seen it. I've seen kids that, like I said, 
their writing skills versus then coming in. Thank God I gave them that oral opportunity or brought them in to ask them some questions because on their paper, it was a complete failure. You know, there was nothing impressive about what they wrote, how they wrote, how they expressed themselves, how they were able to, you know, identify with themselves and then bring them in and talk to them. Thank God. But I, I worry about it, too, because we're in a technology driven phase now where people just want to send you that quick text, email or put a post and that's it. Do you ever do you ever pay attention to athletic interviews or anything? Um, the the final four just now the NCAA March Madness. I just watched a bunch of interviews during the NCAA wrestling championships, and I was seeing it like I was like, that that's not how you're supposed to talk. That's not that's that that sentence wasn't put together. And you give them the benefit of the doubt because not everybody's going to be at the most highest intelligence level. But I wonder if like kids that are in their eighteen to twenty two range right now that are competing. I wonder if it's like, there's a couple things going on. And let me just say this. There's, you know where there, I'm going there's, with their, there's their vernacular though. And some of it is used. That's just how they talk. That's just, you know, they know, you know, it's like, you know, I, you know, a lot of people sometimes, whether it's a basketball player or whether it's whatever they they know what you're, they know what words are using, you know, they, they know what the right word is or what the properly spelled out long word is. They're, they're, they're speaking in, and you know, they're, they're slang because that's cool. And again, so some of that, I, I leave it alone, but definitely there are some, I will not, you know, obviously deny that there are some professional athletes and some younger athletes about to be professionals that yes, I think they, they should uh, get with their PR people and work on crafting a proper but, statement. Okay. And I understand the proper statement, but what I was thinking of is that even if you weren't the most uh, intellectual person. When you knew how to communicate, you knew how to work a crowd, you knew how to work a microphone, you knew that that microphone was going to be in your face and you were ready for it. Whether it was Dexter Manley that couldn't even barely talk, Deion Sanders was always jovial and stuff and he talked a lot of smack. Mike Tyson did interviews and was 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 uh, um, able to get a reaction out of people. These interviews don't even, I'm sitting there going, it's not being put together the right way. I'm not just talking about their grammar. I'm talking about their ability to communicate and express themselves. I watched the two stars from Duke, the two main stars that are going to represent Nike and represent the NBA and represent, and I'm sitting there going, I literally just fell asleep in that interview. That was the biggest waste of time that I've ever had in my life. And it's because they're so, they were probably looking at their phones in between the questions because that's how these, uh, yeah, how they communicate. That's how that. they communicate these. But I was serious. Joey, I was like, that was the, that is not how it's supposed to be. They have no, they have no idea how to work the room. They had no idea. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, all I knew, all I know is that I know we put a tremendous lot of pressure on some of these younger, younger kids. Some of them just, that's you know, a good point, in dude. the, in the, in the lights and after something like that, they're, you know, their, their, their mind is shot. You know, you know what it's like to mentally perform and then you take in all the pressure and being young. So I cut those guys a lot of slack, but I do think, yeah, I, I think there has been some emotion and there has been some articulation and there has been some like missing like, absence of thought, like you're saying, of describing what's going on. And it is, it's almost a put to sleep interview. I don't know what to say about that other than hopefully we can work on it. And I, and I agree with you, you know, you make a good point there that there is pressures on and I was having this talk the other day about somebody said talk shit about Tyson again and I was like I don't know if you understand really what this guy was doing at the age he was doing it at which oh, yeah. still to this day blows my mind and I and I wanted to revisit this with you because it, since our last talk I've even dug into him more and listened to him more and to this day to this day I still can't fathom what somebody at that age at 19 20 years old being the undefeated undisputed heavyweight champion of the world with all three belts 
the money he was making, the Rolls Royces he was buying. At one time, I read a report today, at one time, he owned seven Bengal Tigers at 22 years old. And I'm like, that's not normal. That's, he's, not a prince, he's not a prince of India. He, he had seven Bengal Tigers at his house. And I'm like... What can I say, man? Mike likes tigers, dude. I, I know the dude personally. He likes tigers. But what I'm saying is that think of, you talk about the pressures that are on somebody, and then they look at Mike Tyson and go, dude, he's an idiot. He's a, he's a, whatever they call him. They, you know, and the disrespect that they show for him because of the money he went through and the life and the career that he had. I still, in my positioning on Mike Tyson, is like, I don't know if anybody could handle that. At 19 yeah, or 20 years old, it'll never happen again. It's all easy for us to Monday morning quarterback that, but back at that at that stage in the game, he didn't have any real man. He didn't and no one to no one to help him, man. No one to really take care of him. No one to, and I mean that truthfully. When you're when you're an athlete performing on that level, your job is to train and fight, and you're not supposed to be worrying about investment decisions and buying the house and forming an entity and putting stuff away for taxes. And I just, if anything, I just feel terrible for him, man. I feel like Mike got so dis disrespected by the people that were supposed to protect him and it's it's truly a travesty it really is because you talk about a young man who made hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars this was before floyd floyd money mayweather and he had it and if he would have just had one one good dude in his back and in his corner one one chad belding one joey gilbert saying hey no we're going to take 20 percent of this and slug it away for this and we're going to do this it'd be a totally different ball game but no i mean imagine that me being the youngest heavyweight champ in the world making that kind of money and thinking it's going to not stop i mean you know you got fights lined up after fights you think your people around you are there to help you but no one's telling you hey mike do this hey mike do that so no, man, it's a, it's unbelievable. I mean, that guy, what he's done and how he's re -res resurrected his own career and come back around. And now what he's doing is, is, is it's a, it's an incredible story in itself. And incredible to the point to where the compassion that you talk about with the, my compassion to go along with what you're saying, then we'll move on to the, the, the collegiate boxing was not only did he not have anybody to, to, to give him good leadership or to help him make these decisions that you're talking about. He was a kid that came up and when he met, when he met D'Amato, that was like his life, right? That was his parents pretty much. That was his trust system. The adults that he was meeting were people that he was entrusting in. And at the same time that they weren't giving him the right leadership, they were taking advantage of him to the point to where at 20 years old, he's thinking, oh yeah, yeah, to, you know, whatever you need to do. They say that he went through like $330 million mm -hmm. from his fight career. $330 million at that time. At that right. time. And, and now he's not, I mean, I, I just, I'm like, they, somebody was getting that money and putting it oh, somewhere. Yeah. And I, we, I know kind of who I think it was. It doesn't matter what I think, but I just can't imagine somebody opening up their opinion base on Mike Tyson right now and saying, what a piece of shit. What a, no, no it's, they, if they, if they've got any, any type of a brain or any heart or any compassion, you never say that about Mike Tyson. He's got to be one of the most genuine kindest human beings you would ever meet who has been through such a tremendous amount so people want to you know they want to poke fun at him or they want to say something to him or they want to bring something up i mean that man was railroaded and put in prison because of uh, of politics and because of the way that people were trying to govern his career and steer him it's just not fair and you know what i, I gotta say this about him man it, it has been an absolute pre pleasure in my life to get to know him to be around
around him a little bit. And he, he is the real deal. He's a real guy. He's a great father. He's a great husband. But at the same time, imagine what he's been through. Imagine some of the pain he feels for the way he was treated and the way things went down for him. And I know that there's guys in his life or guys that are, that were involved in his life that if they even walk in the room, you know, he, he, you know, you'll see his blood pressure will go up and, um, and, and, you know, it's best just to get him out of there. And, and I, and I know why, and I, and I know that nothing would make a man do that or feel like that unless he had felt so severely and morally wronged, like in such a way that, uh, that, that you maybe spent time in prison over it. And so that's, that's all I'll say on, on Mike Tyson right now. The last thing I want you to talk about Mike Tyson real quick was, um, do, do you think that there's ever been a more, and I'm talking about across society and whole, is he the most famous boxer of all time? I think, and I just I mean, mean famous. I'm not even talking about boxing skills. I'm just talking about the most wreck. To, to, to no, this, I think Muhammad Ali is really. You think yeah. he is? because of the because of the politics and the war, the and politics the and, and who he was and how he carried himself. And I mean, you're dealing with two different, you know, freaking ferocious, you know, champion gods almost. You know, what I'm saying two guys that are that will be ever forever remembered and left their own unique impact. And they can do all the simulations of who would have won, who would have this. I just think you're dealing with just such different, you know, just different energy that. I don't know if you could ever answer that, but I think worldwide, um, Muhammad Ali is probably the name. Although, I mean, you know, uh, who am I? To, who am I to say? It's I also just, the most popular name in the world, the most used <laughs> name, Muhammad. Muhammad. So, again, you know, there's a, there's a lot to go to that. He fought in Africa. You know, Mike didn't get out as me. He fought in Tokyo. He lost that one. There's there's a lot of stuff that I think Muhammad did at a time when you know there was just such a, such a huge you know optics on this on the sport back then. But I mean, only history will history will tell us. His mama called him Clay. I'm going to call him Clay. Yeah, <laughs> remember that? Oh yeah, coming to America. I just it just when Tyson walks into a room, and it's hard to argue because I'm sure that Muhammad Ali would be in the same boat. But like he brings down the house still. Yeah, he does. He's been out of the game. He's for incredible. A while. He, I mean, I'll tell you this though. I saw Muhammad. I mean, we we've seen pictures and video of Muhammad Ali in his prime, and then when you go look at Tyson in his prime. And you just think it just, just, I just don't, I don't know, man. I would just, I, I would bet on Tyson. I would take Tyson. I, I'm just saying heartbeat. prime when he was, you know, just like that, that, that 86 physique, to 90. 86 that physique, to 90. the way he turned those hips, the power he had. You're talking, he was one punching guys that used to go 12 and 15 rounds and they didn't get up. No. Like, I mean, just on the ground. I mean, so. I just don't. I just don't know, man. I, I would bet on Mike. I, like I said, I, he's he's one of my my favorite guys. And and here's not a guy. I'm not going to claim like this is my best. But I'm just said I've had unique opportunities to sit and talk with him on numerous occasions. And he's by far one of my favorite champions and, ch and favorite athletes of all time. And I agree 100. percent And to this day, every morning, I was telling the guys in the gym yesterday, and I was showing them a, a sample. I was showing less every morning. I watched something to do with Mike Tyson. And yesterday morning before the workout, I watched a. Uh, uh, training session with him and Rooney to where Rooney had him doing his hops across the ring, you know, the back and forth hops and where we would land that right body shot and then that uppercut. And I watched him training with Rooney and I was like, that is so unbelievable what that man was getting out of Mike Tyson. Like mm -hmm. it's a nonstop jump roping deal oh, and in the ring general shit. And I don't know if when he was gone, it was almost like Tyson was gone. I know Cuss's death had a lot to do with it, but when Rooney got fired in his career, it was like literally the biggest thing that, that to all, his downfall. It was all, all planned. Yeah. It was all weird. It was, it was all, all a weird deal. But for a reason. I just, I, 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 I listened to his podcast with Rogan. I tell everybody I wasn't that impressed with it. I listened to another one that he just did with uh, Joey Diaz, another comedian and i don't like i don't like what's being done the stories that are being i just it's just weird to me about um the way that 
the, the, the topics that they were talking about and stuff, I just didn't jive with me, but I just look at his career as being like the most misunderstood professional athletic career of all time. And it just drives me nuts every day because I cried when he got beat by Buster Douglas. I literally shed tears that night. I talked to Shalene about that, about how, and Shalene made a good point. He's like, dude, do you understand that? I didn't even get to watch that fight. I was at the Carson Capitals baseball banquet down in Carson city at the state's capital. And a guy got on the microphone during the night and said, we wanted to let everybody know that Mike Tyson got beat um, tonight in Tokyo and the whole crowd laughed and they're like, yeah, right now tell us the truth. And that he goes, that's what Mike Tyson was is you just knew. Yep. And you talked about before is that, you know, you had to be in there in the first one minute of the pay-per-view deal or you lost your money, right? Because the fight was over. And the other thing is, is that, you know, boxing, the people that he was fighting, Bone Crusher Smith, T Tucker, I mean, Larry Holmes was 38 when he fought him. He, Larry Holmes went into that fight with all the confidence in the world that he was going to teach this kid a lesson. And he knocked Larry Holmes out, smoked Look, man, him. They put, they put everyone in front of me. It's just so, just stop. Okay, the dude would have walked through you. I don't care who it was. They, everyone thought they had an answer. Everybody thought this was going to be the guy that stopped Mike. And I'm not going to get into him getting caught with his pants down in Tokyo. It's a different, that's a whole other topic, but look it up. You know, he didn't even think he was going to have to fight. Wasn't even in training camp when he got the call and said you're fighting so they didn't even bring a cut man to the there's fight. just there's just there's just a lot of stuff there that's just mike was done so dirty and and then i just like i said there you can look it all up you can find it online with a little research it, it is it's just it's one of those deals i love talking about mike tyson because i think that it's it, it just a it's just a weird weird career that went down but the the college boxing stuff is bad you you won an ncaa title how many times so I won three three time national champ and I was a four time All American. So four time All American, you won the tournament three times. Now to be invited, is that an invitational or do you have to qualify? Well, you got, so you got to win the regionals, and that's against Air Force Academy, which is a perennial powerhouse. Those guys are always in incredible shape. I always have the best coaching. They have a huge group of guys to choose from. So once you draw a guy from Air Force, sometimes he's on his second, third, fourth year, and he's had literally, you know, dozens and dozens of fights because they've got smokers, they got the wing open, they've got their own competition. So it's not easy to get through our regionals to get to nationals because you got to go through Air Force. So the regional that Nevada has to go through, you fought at University of Nevada, Reno. the regional that UNR has to go through always goes through Air Force. It involves Air Force Academy, Santa Clara, Oregon, Washington, Cal Berkeley. There was a San Jose. There were a few, you know, other schools back then, Vegas and stuff like that. But yeah, you got to, you got to clear them. So how many, re did you win four? I won four. Yeah. So did you always fight an Air Force guy in all four regionals? Every one of them, yeah. And they were the best in shape, bad, they were known as the, in that region. They were like little, I used to say they were like little robots. And you went in there and punished the guy. They four just times. they just went in there. You knew they were not going to get tired, and you knew they were going to throw a lot of punches. So you just you just had to prepare for that. So was it? How, how did you win on a scorecard, or were you? I went on out? a scorecard, and I just my philosophy was very simple. I was just going to outpunch them. I was going to make them throw as many punches as they could, and I was going to throw you know ten more. So, so when you go in there now, could the box are the boxers that you're mentoring today and competing for UNR and against Air Force in these regionals and moving on to the national championships, are they the same mindset and wired as you were back in the day when you were coming up boxing with your upbringing or are they softened now? Is, is boxing even getting softened at all with the way kids are being raised and stuff? No, I don't think boxing is getting soft at all. Not, no, not, not even a little bit. You know, we got coach all, you know, a uh, grandson who was in their boxing, uh, and he, I mean, Davis all, he did a fantastic job. And, you know, here's a kid that was in the Nevada gym from a young age. He was coming in, I think from seventh and eighth grade. And so he's been there for a long time, but 
I mean, he, he did phenomenal. And, you know, I don't think that there's, um, I didn't see any difference in the way that he trained from the way that I trained. I think it does come down to the mindset and how, how much time you're willing to put in because not a lot of these guys in college fought when they were younger. It's usually, truly you walk in there, you know, in your, in your late teens and and decide you're going to box like you did. Like I did. I was 19 when I did it. You went out of high school. As I was walker. out of high school. I was one year through college and on a bed on a dare from my fraternity brothers that I would get my butt beat. Um, I dared, they dared me to go up to the boxing gym and I did and I loved it. So I, I don't think I missed a day after that for, you know, a decade. So yeah, the story of how you became a boxer and the story of how you became a body puncher and the story of how you became on the hit show, the contender with Sylvester Stallone and Sugar Ray Leonard. That's a badass story. Um, do you think that the days of boxing are over as not far as far as being not even a little bit not even a little bit i think you're i think there's always going to be boxing fans i think boxing is a different sport it's a sweet science i i am personally excited to see women stepping up in the way that they have you see there's some of the most entertaining fights in mma now in the ufc and we're getting more female uh, fighters in our i mean i work i work exclusively this year it was funny i was working exclusively with the females at the university of nevada gym because they just weren't getting much attention and then in a nonprofit here in town i started you know taking on the girls because no one was really giving them time and i actually thought they developed the fastest and they were most willing to listen and you know they didn't have something ingrained in their head how this is how i'm going to throw a punch so they were willing to you know take the routine take the technique down make it their own so i've had a blast and i think there's a huge huge class of fighters coming up female on you know on both sides both mma you know ufc style based and in boxing and i think that they 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 fight just as hard if not harder because i think they've got something to prove or they feel like they've got something to prove, so it's awesome to see. And I've, I haven't noticed no backward movement. I know there's been a ton of talk, and I know that UFC has gotten in the limelight. And that's just because you know, they've got so many fighters, so many champions. You know, they've got so, they've so many shows. Whereas boxing is kind of manipulated by the bigger promoters, and those guys have the champions, and they're not as willing to make those fights you know, that you'll see Dana do in two seconds. Dana White's going to, he's going to get a text from someone. He's going to make that fight happen. Meanwhile, you got boxing champions texting each other for two years and these, in, in these jack off promoters won't make it happen. I mean, there's a few real good guys still left in the game. I love Bob Arum. I think top ranks, one of the top notch, you know, he's been one of the fairest guys in the game. You know, Oscar's not doing bad. And you guys got guys got like Roy Jones Jr. You know, his, his, his promotional company, they're doing right. They're trying to match real fighters, but I still think they need to let these guys get i mean the promoters need to get out of the way and make the top fights happen because that's what hurts the sport not that the exciting fighters aren't there not that the exciting fights won't happen but give it to us give it to us quicker you know what you're seeing in mma is you can have a, a 17 and 7 record and still be the freaking main event okay you don't have to be 17 and 0 people want to see fights they don't mind seeing a close fight you know, they don't mind seeing two guys throwing down and it coming down to a split decision when these guys got, but, but fight, you know what I'm saying? There's very few Floyd Mayweathers out there that, you know, for me, I get as much entertainment value out of watching Floyd not get hit and making his opponent look foolish as I do seeing a, a, another tough fighter rough somebody up and knock him out. That's me. I appreciate the sport. So, I mean, it depends on what you're looking for. Do you think that, um, Conor McGregor is done as a fighter. No and, way. Okay. And do you appreciate the way that he has fought his career? Absolutely. 
Conor McGregor is an awesome dude. He's entertain. He's an entertainer. He took the page right out of Floyd's playbook. He knew that you've got to be play a villain at times. You need to be entertaining at times. But he's also a quality human being. Look, everybody screws up. I don't know what happened with the whole throwing the the thing the the, the card at the bus and he got in trouble for that. But then look what happens. You know, at his fight, people are jumping out of the ring. He's fighting, dude. I mean, come on. It's fighting. You can't you can't insult a guy's religion and father the way that Connor did to to Gabib's you know whole team. And I understand he did that for for probably for fight purposes. But you know you're dealing with a different side of the world there, man. Where you know that's that's not that's not cool. So is that going it, too far? I think that's going too far. I think that when you say some of the stuff Connor said, I think he could have done. But I also think that you know then Connor was called racist because he said to Floyd, "Dance for me, boy." It, he, he was that's him. That's that's a colloquialism. That's that's the way he was acting. You know, and from his Irish background, you know, and and in his accent and the way he did things. And again, it was showmanship. It was trying to build a fight. Those guys were on the same jet together flying around doing the pressers. So, I mean, obviously it wasn't that bad. But I will say this though, Connor impressed the shit out of me, man. I mean, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that word, but- You he, can say whatever you want, he, but I think you're wrong. He impressed the heck out of in me. The, in the Mayweather fight? In the Mayweather fight. Uh, we had this talk and I will- And I'll tell you why. I think that if he, had he not, had he had he worked with some guys a little better about not blowing his load and working and throwing so many punches in those first three and four rounds and, and slowed it down a little bit and been a little bit more methodical, I think he would have got farther. Joey, Joey, Joey. I don't I'm want, sorry, that was one of the closest you, fights I've ever you seen. You are way, way way more qualified to have this discussion than I am. And I will, I will, I will make sure that people understand that before I say what I'm going to say. Floyd Mayweather could have ended that fight in the first or second round easily. No problem. He could have landed that leather on that face at any given time that he wanted. I don't think Come so. Come on, dude. I don't agree with you on he, that. He, he is, he I don't agree the, with you. He has the best hands of all I time understand in the that, fight man. game. Then why didn't he do it? Because he, be, 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 probably because he was told not to, no, maybe. I, that, not, not when you're making, you, you don't know Floyd then. Floyd's making that hundred million, whether he's in there for a round or 12 rounds and Floyd's going to do what's, Floyd's going to do what's best. He doesn't want the wear and tear. Those punches I, I, from I, Connor were not, were no jokes, man. I'm just saying like, the, I've seen Floyd in fights. I think he played cautious. I think Floyd knew exactly what he was doing and that Connor would shoot his load. And if he withstood and used his defense and, and used his shoulder rolls and just kept freaking Connor punching that he would stop him after the eighth round. And that's exactly what happened. There's barely been qualified champion boxers like sugar shane put his hands on him de la hoya did a little bit most boxers don't even touch floyd mayweather for 12 or 15 rounds but that's what you're, you're telling me that this guy can yes. come in he's not even that good of a boxer let me tell you why though i don't even think connor knew what he was gonna throw okay connor didn't even know the own punches combination moves he was gonna make he didn't know when you have that unpredictable that gamey that that just uncharted type of a fighter, no data points. How, how would Floyd st you know, study for him? What would he watch? UFC fights? Good point. So good point. I think that when you take a mastermind like Floyd, what does Floyd do to you? He breaks you down. He, the, the man is a He's a boxing genius. He's recording every move you're making. So when he's in there, imagine a camera. You just pull, imagine a camera hitting start in the first round and you're recording and you're seeing how Connor throws this. Then he moves to this side. You're breaking it down and you're weathering the storm and you're making sure he doesn't land one of those shots that can, you know, leave your knees wobbly and then jump on you because it is fighting. They were in eight ounce gloves. And I really do think Floyd said, okay. I'm going to take this guy in. I'm going to use it like a video. The big eye in the sky don't lie. My corner's the best in the business, and they're going to tell me this is open. And as soon as he saw him tire, he went to town on him, bro, and he got him out of there. And I think that 
Anything else would have been reckless. You, where have you ever seen Floyd I go in with, with a tougher fight, a guy that can punch? Shane, Shane Mosley would be the number one deal. Did he, did he trade with Shane? Hell no. He didn't trade with Shane. There's a reason for he that. He almost lost that and then, and then on top of it, let's fast forward. Then before his dad gets back in the ring with him, he's with Uncle Roger. He goes and fights Miguel Cotto. You see get Floyd touched up more than you've ever seen him. For the fans, and an old man gets back in the world. Floyd Sr. says, hell no, we're never getting hit like this. Prize fighting, dummy. You don't get hit. You're not getting me. You want to last in this sport, you can't get punched. And I'm just telling you, they looked at Connor and they said, if this man touches you with clean shots, if you showboat, if you go out there and try to train with him and you get wobbled, you could be in big trouble. That's honestly how I feel. Floyd fights wars of attrition. He knows what he's doing. He knows every step. Floyd can close his eyes and know exactly how many backward steps he takes before he needs to pivot, before his back hits the ropes and hits you with a check hook. All right, so I'm just trying to say, like, I believe that, the, that, that, that Connor came out and threw a barrage of stuff that he didn't even know what he was going to throw. Floyd did what he does best, adapted, game planned, absorbed, and then when it was time, he let it go. Well, so, I mean, I, did, I beg to disagree with you. No, well, obviously, you're, you're, I, I, that's why I proceeded it, by saying that, because when you say about the robot, you know, the, the, the movie camera and filming the fight and not having footage of a, a Sugar Shane or a De La Hoya with all their rounds that they had fought, I would still say that even with all that knowledge of what Sugar Shane can do, he's still got that, the capabilities of a world-class prize fighter, where as Connor, I'm not taking away anything that he is, he's not, he's, he's awesome. I just think that he was put on a pedestal by Dana fast because he had that showmanship and the tattoos and the ability to talk shit and win the crowd and, and win a room and sell pay-per-views. Ronda Rousey was put on that same pedestal. Be gone. I just think, I just, I'm just going to disagree with you again, man. I think if Floyd Mayweather could have knocked Conor McGregor out in the first or second round, he would have done it. So in what second. happens in, what happens in the rematch if they ever rematched after he saw him for eight, eight or nine rounds? Does it go, does it go the same distance? I think does, Floyd always beats his guys in the rematch worse. So, I mean, I think then he, he knows more what to do and, and who knows, maybe he lets it go a little more. Maybe Floyd lets go a little more because he doesn't think he's going to get hit. But again, I mean, come on, man. I, I mean, the guy's 50 and 0 for a reason. It's because he knows what he's doing in there. So we can sit here and Monday morning quarterback it all we want on how Floyd's going to fight Connor if he was to fight him again. But I know one thing about Floyd. He's too smart to take that damage. He knows, but he knows boxing and he knows that an eight ounce glove from someone like that that catches him wrong because he's, he's fighting like he doesn't normally fight puts him in a vulnerable position. I just don't think he's going to take that. He's a betting man. He, no, no one bets on Floyd like Floyd. And if I, and if I was betting on Floyd, I would, I would bet that he would fight an extremely smite, smart and cautious fight and allow Connor to break down. Maybe he touches him up more with body shots this time. Maybe he spins him a little. I don't, I don't know, but I just don't think he goes out there and trades with him. What about Connor against Kaneo? <sighs> I don't know. And, and he's never seen him fight. If it was Kaneo there instead of Mayweather, and you know Mayweather knows boxing, and I he's think, not again. I think you can be in a whole different story because Canelo would stand and trade, and then you then it's like mano y mano. Connor's a tough guy, but you know MMA guys. No offense to my MMA brothers out there, but you guys don't you don't know how to throw body shots the same way. You don't turn with the punches the same way. I've seen plenty of guys do wonderful, but there's a lot of them that just they're not just like. Don't try and take me down. Don't try and kick me or hit me with an elbow or a spinning bag. I'm not going to see that coming either. But I think from some of the boxing positioning, the game of angles and how you move, that there's, that's a lot in that. There's a lot to, there's a lot to be said about that. If, if Canelo and, and Connor stood toe-to-toe, I think that would be a, a war of attrition, man. I don't, I don't know. It just depends who can take the most, the most, the most shots. 
you and your prime, when you were weighing in in your best and filling your best back in 2008 and 9, 2007, 8 and 9, could you get in the ring and compete against Floyd Mayweather Jr. Canelo? Could you get in there and give them a fight or a run for their money? Not Floyd. I, don't, I, just, I just don't believe that. I do believe he was too fast. He was just, for me, at 160 pounds, Floyd was big coming up, started at a lightweight, moved up to 39, then junior, then junior welterweight, then welterweight, then junior middleweight. And he just had, he just possesses a speed. I mean, could, could I, could I made it a, a, a few rounds with him? Sure. I mean, would I like to think I could make it a fight with him and, and probably lose it on points badly? But unless you put Floyd in a corner and hurt him, which again, like just watch his footwork, man. Watch what that man does. I've never seen someone, and again, I'm not trying to, you know, to, 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 you know, say Floyd's the greatest, but I had a, I had the privilege and honor of watching him train. I've never seen a human being train as hard as that man trains. He, you know, Kid Rock's got that song, and it, it, ain't, it, ain't, it, ain't, it ain't being cocky if you can back it up. And Floyd earns every bit of press and mouthiness and sarcasm and, and S, you know, and, and butt talking he wants because he puts in the work, man, he does. And so, again, you see how sharp he is with his footwork. And I think there was a time, you know, when I was, you know, when I was, you know, doing very, very well that I think I could have got in there and, and laid a glove on him. But I'm just saying, look at, look at, some, look at some of these guys that were the top of the world and, and, they, and they lost decisively. I mean, they lost all, all 12 rounds. You know, I mean, so again, so it's not fair to say that he's the greatest all around fighter of all time. I don't think he's, I wouldn't say he's the greatest. I think he's one, he's one of the greatest. He's Who's one the, of the, who, if, if you had one name to give me right now that I you had to do that, right you now. can't, uh -uh. I just can't. There's too many, man. What's your favorite weight division of all time? I think you go guys got back to guys like Sugar Ray Robinson are just, just incredible. Sugar Ray Leonard is going to be one of my all time top, top, top. Roy Jones Jr.? Yeah, Roy, but still, I mean, Sugar Ray, man, to me is the epitome of uh, of just a just a champion. I mean, how he gutted out some of these. He fought everyone. He stayed in their face. He never ran. I mean, it was like you gave him ten shots, he gave you ten back. And I just, I just, I just a big fan of Ray Leonard. But I mean, Marvin Hagler. I mean, like I said, you who know, retired Marvin Hagler? Was it Sugar Ray that it won was that Sugar fight? Ray. That just after that fight, just getting that decision, which could have gone either way. Either way, and, right? And I just think you know he went to Italy, and never came back. So. Probably best decision he ever made, man. He lived in Italy. He was retired. He had plenty of money. Married a beautiful woman, and and has never come back. So good for him. Is John Jones the best MMA fighter of all time? I think I think Jones is a goat, man. I mean, as as you've probably seen from my Instagram, I had a chance to sit with him and uh, Diego Sanchez in a sauna in a Fit Bomb sauna in Albuquerque right before his last fight. And you know, we here they are, and they're we're actually doing a, a breathing program called Wim Hof. So look him up, W I M H O F. Wim Hof and doing this breathing training together. And here we are praying, meditating, you know, talking, you know, talking about trials and tribulations and everything we've been through and how hard, how hard it was and, and, and just everything, man. And it was one of the most awesome experiences. And he's a real dude with real family and real problems, just like anybody else. But he truly has evolved with the game. I mean, he is such a complete athlete and such a complete fighter that I really think he's going to go down as the goat, man. He I mean, he just, why did he cheat? You know, man, I, I don't know, man, you know, you're, you're looking at someone who also got caught in those crosshairs. And I think that, you know, um, when you're have all this pressure on you and you just, you want to try and maximize every, every square inch of your body and every, every square inch of your muscle. And, and you want to give yourself every advantage you can. And I think that you're going to, you know, you get tricked, you get duped. You believe that this is going to make your superhuman. You believe this little thing is going to give you an edge. Uh, first of all, I don't, I don't know what he used or didn't use. I know that there's been things that, you know, in his, in his post-fight drug analysis that were not 
that were not supposed to be there. But I'll tell you, I've seen the man train and I've seen him compete and he does not shortchange himself. He, the only reason he's a champion is because of the hard work. The only reason that he has been able to repeat isn't because he took something one time, isn't because he used something before some, some fight. That man is a champion because he puts it in. He puts in the time, he puts in the work, hard work and dedication, and, and again, that's why he's the champ. Have you ever, I think there's only been really one instance in his career, and I think it was the first Gus to Sun fight, to where he maybe looked like he had a chance to lose. Like I've never like this Anthony Smith fight that just happened. Like that, that, that was that, all hype. What the guess was all hype. No, Anthony no, Smith. No, the Smith. Yeah. It's exactly where I was going with this is, is it the hype that Dana White puts up and that all of a sudden he can just take Anthony Smith and make people think that he's got a chance against John Jones because that guy never even landed a punch against John Jones in five rounds. No, but look, I mean, come on, man. Look what he did to the top 10 guys. Anthony Smith was, was walking through people, man. And he did a great job. And I think who, that, you know give what? me, give me one top 10 guy that he walked through. I don't know their names, man. You'd have to show them to me. I don't, I don't pay him pay attention on that level. I'm just saying he did fight a few. Did he really? Yeah, he I didn't did. know he, this. He, I didn't know he that. He fought more than a few top guys. He went right through him. And again, you know, come on. John Jones was just coming back. You know, he had just had another one fight, so his second fight in there. They gave him, I think, a guy that he was, you know, that should beat. But I'll, I'll say this, though. Anthony Smith at that time was undefeated, right? I mean, didn't he? I think he was 17-0. Okay, so, I mean, again, you, you, put, you fight who they put in front of you, man. And, and if Dana White says this is who you're fighting, I guarantee you John's not arguing with him. What's it going to take to beat John Jones? You're a fighter. You know the fight game. What can, with the, the most special thing to, about him to me is his separation. It's almost like people can't even get close enough to hurt him or let alone put gloves on him or feet on him. Yeah, I don't What's know. it going to take to beat him? I don't got an answer for you on that, man. It's... Um John Jones is is, is is as tremendous of a wrestler as he is as, as a as a striker, and he's he's innovative and he adapts. So I mean, again, like he, what's so fun about watching John Jones is watching him adapt to whatever. And that and that Anthony Lionheart Smith was a prime example. Here's a guy who's got heavy hands and who you know is good with his kicks, but just couldn't close the distance to where he could be effective with John Jones without getting hit. And so again, another thing is you hear in boxing all the time. Sorry, I keep in this thing. Another thing you'll hear in boxing is you'll hear that a guy, you know, you know, kept his hands in his pockets, had his hands in his pockets. And that's where almost where your, your, your guns are in your seats, where, you, you know, you're questioning yourself throwing because you think you're going to get countered. So you don't even throw. And it, and it makes you that much less of a fighter than you really are because you're, you're, you're afraid of getting, of getting countered. And I think that's what John did to this guy and, and he made it look easy and, you know, that's just what the great champions do, man. They make guys that are that are destroying other people look like amateurs. And I just think John's, you know, he's he's ending the top of his reign, I think, just because he's getting a little older and, and whatnot. But I still think we're going to see him around for a few more years. Did you do more with him down there than just sitting in a sauna? Did you train? No, I, I trained with those guys, but I did not train with him. He's he That would not have been a, a fun training experience. Did you hold bags or mitts for him? No, anyone? I just watched him and hang out right is next it, to is him. He on, is, are, is his prowess in the in the octagon his his punching power his kicks are they on a different level up close they, no they really are man i mean he's 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 world-class dude i mean for sure he um but again in training he's he's very methodical he's tr he's drilling he's thinking he's very he's a very cerebral fighter is what i would say and so he's calculating you know he's 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 looking at distance he's looking at time he's a, he's another floyd mayweather man He's, his footwork is down. He's recording you. He's, he's, he's noticing your bad habits. He's noticing your idiosyncrasies. He's noticing where you're failing to, to catch yourself, and then he's going to catch you. 
Scott Shaleen put it this way. He goes, could you imagine having two brothers in the NFL and still being the toughest kid in the family? Yeah. <laughs> Cause he is, he's, I know. he's a different level of fighter, man. Like I'm, I, I just hope that when it's all said and done, that the respect is there from the fight fan of dude, put the past behind the, the drug test and the stuff that went down with the DUI or whatever it was. People make mistakes. The pressure gets to you. Um, it's not an excuse for them. It's just that you can't really know what's going on until you're in those shoes to where you're being flown around the world in private jets and red carpets and a Nike sponsor and a gate. I mean, at one time him and GSP had Nike shorts and Gatorade. That was unheard of in the fight game, in the MMA game. It was always tap out and all of these smaller companies. Oh, they know. had Nike and Gatorade on his shorts. That was all he had. And I just, there was, you, it's easy for us to say, oh man, you, he should have been able to handle that pressure. No problem. I just hope that people understand how special of an athlete he really is. I'm saying that just my opinion is that I will pay per view every time he's on the card because I, and it doesn't even have to be a knockout that Anthony Smith fight. I, w I was just watching him just manhandle a guy that you, like you said, is 17 and Oh, I don't know if it was all hype building up to it because at one time you said that was all hype or did Anthony Smith really belong in that octagon with them? Or is there not a big enough talent pool to choose from to put in front of a world-class or what you call a goat greatest of all time? Is there just somebody out there that is there just nobody in that weight division that should he go up and fight Cormier? If he goes to heavyweight and fights Cormier, he's going to destroy Cormier. It's proof. In the, I mean, he's already done it twice. So is there anybody out there that you can even put into, into the ring to even give him a challenge? I don't know. I don't know if it's always going to be a hype game on his fights to get people to buy it or if he's going to be able to sell them himself. He just never gets hit, Joey. He never is in trouble in a fight. The only time I've ever seen him in real, the, the, the second Gustafson fight, he manhandled him again yep. oh, at, yeah. at will. Did you watch it? I just think, you know, you're dealing with a special human being, man. I mean, John Jones is real. He's a real dude like anyone else. You know, he cuts and bleeds just the same. And I think that people just, you know, sometimes, you know, they don't give it, they don't give him credit where credit is due. He's, a, he's, he's as good as he is because he's worked tremendously hard at it. He's extremely gifted, but this is a guy that puts in the work. And again, he believes in himself, man. When you believe in yourself and you, and you train like that, um, you know, and he's, and again, he, he puts his faith in God. He's a, he's a deeply religious guy. He's, he's, I just, I just think for all the, all the, the, the right reasons, man, he's going to be on top for a while. And I look forward to watching him compete. With all of your knowledge in the fight game and all of your 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 way to look at it on a different level than most people do, because most people, including myself, look at it like, oh, he destroys people for this reason. He's just this. And then you're like, well, you look at his footwork and Floyd Mayweather does this when he's stepping back and his hip turns right before he hits the rope and he's going to hit you with a cross check. Uh, uh, what'd you call it? A, a check cross? Check hook. A check hook. Um Why are you not personally working closer with the fight game right now at this time in your life? It well, seems I mean, like you have a lot I to offer. I actually am. I'm doing, I'm working with the Nevada fighters. So I've been coaching at the Nevada gym for the year at just this season, you know, as many days as I could get in there. And there's another gym across town, redirect athletics with Yola Grown that I coach at on Thursday nights. And so I am, I'm in the game. I actually went out to Albuquerque to work with Diego a little bit, just to, just to see how he was doing and, and see what his striking was like. But you know what, man, part of it for me was I missed it so much. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be that close to it at that point. And now that I've gotten a little older, you know, now I'm 42, I'm kind of dipping back in. And I'm, you know, again, I still maintain a promotional license. I'm still interested in putting on fights. I'm still interested in staying close to the fight game. So in time, we'll see. But I'm, I'm definitely still connected to the fight game. Do, do you think that, do you see yourself, you say in time that you'll see, but to me, it's like, uh, it would be a no brainer with your passion and love for it. Or is it 
a financial risk to put yourself out there with the state that boxing's in right now? Is there money to be made in the boxing? I know that the big names get big paydays. You, I have you on this podcast, quote unquote, I think verbatim somewhere in this realm of a boxer makes more in one night than a UFC fighter can make in his whole career or an MMA fighter makes in their whole career. Some of them, some of the top some, guys now are making, making that big money, but who yeah. MMA. Yeah. But a most, of, but most of the big boxers are, I mean, yeah. there's 20, $25 million pay oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. paydays in some of this. Why is it not a no brainer for you to be more in business invested into the fight game when you're so passionate? And more importantly, you have so much know-how and, and, and skill. Cause it really is controlled by that top group of promoters, man. It is they've got their network contacts. I mean, there's some stuff changing in the game right now with De La Hoya and with that whole Dazzin network that they're doing. But again, it's just, it's, it's a hard business, man. It is, it's tough to, you know, to sell. You got to, you know, the, the show, everything costs money. Athletic commissions cost money. Medicals cost money. Fighters travel cost money. So it's not as, as, you know, as, as, as a good return on investment as you might think. A lot of it you have to do, you have to get into it for the purpose of, you know, cultivating. And it's something that's going to take some time. And I think you build a following. We used to have a way bigger fight town here than we do now. I think the economy hurt us in 2008, but I think we could get back there. I really do. I really think we could get back to quarterly shows if we were able to, you know, get with the right partners and bring it back. And I think it would do fine. What if your daughter who loves tennis and loves skiing? We're not, we don't need to talk about that right now. Not a chance. No, actually, she spent the entire weekend at the College Boxing Nationals telling everyone she was a fighter and a tennis player. And I was freaked out because she can hit the mitts pretty well. We've worked on them. She definitely knows how to defend herself and how to throw a jab, right cross, hook, uppercut. That's the last thing I want her doing. But at the same time, I don't want to deny her you know, anything she loves to do. But for the time being, she's in tennis. And I'm trying to just right now, my whole little bribing thing is that we're going to cross train boxing and we'll use it for fun. And she can go to the gym and see some of the girls train and train with them. But we're not going to get hit in the head right now. So we'll see. I just you know. pictured this competitor in a tennis match jumping over the net and rushing your daughter. Yeah, that'd be a really, really bad move, dude. <laughs> and just getting smoked. <laughs> the referee trying to get down off the chair as fast as he can. But yeah, I just I, I appreciate you being here, Joey. And the insight that you have on the fight game is 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 one that's you know unparalleled in a lot of ways, mainly because of the, your experience in the fight in in the ring and what you did. And, and for people that that watched your career um there the the big fight that everybody always talks about was the brinkley fight which sure. is one of the most savage nights of your life like, yeah, absolutely um when you when you think back on that night did that define your career that that three hour that two hour period in the ring with brinkley that night because i, I would it, say yes and no i'd say it was career defining in the sense of like look you know, I'm, I knew from the beginning that the weight wasn't right. Like I, I allowed myself to get goaded up to fight him at a, a heavier weight. And that was just stupid all along. Um, I, from the very first punch that landed on me, I felt the weight difference and thought to myself, oh boy, man, this is this, you know, and, and it was a different mindset from the first time in my life. I went from like, this dude's in a lot of trouble to like, oh boy, I'm in a lot of trouble. And, and then, you know, trying to execute a strategy with a coach I hadn't worked with very long before just all went bad. And in the fifth round, I come off the ropes, catch a right hand to the, to the nose, literally shatters my nose in the fifth round. And it's known in Reno as the Valentine's day massacre, because it was, there was also one like that in Chicago and back in the, back in the day with Jake Lamotta. But this one out here, I mean, I've never bled so much. There was blood all over the ring. And for me, it became a moral victory because not only is Jesse still a, one of my very good friends to this day, but we had history and there were bragging rights. He's from Urington, I'm from Reno. And I knew that I had every freaking right under the 
sun to, you know, when those guys, when that ref and that doctor asked me every round after the fifth round, Joey, are you okay? Do you want to continue? I could have said, I can't see, can't breathe. I couldn't, I couldn't see right. My eyes just kept watering. I had bone fragments throughout, throughout my nose and face. You know, I mean, you know, I couldn't see, I couldn't breathe. And, but every time when they said, you know, can you go on? It was kind of like that in your head. You're like thinking like, I mean, ask me if I want to go on, dude. Don't ask me if I can, you know, I can, you know, and it was just something I had to answer to myself. And so I have had numerous people, you know, come up to me throughout the years and said, kid, what you did that night, how you gutted that out, that, that seven rounds of a bleeding mess and still kept trying to fight and not, and not quit that fight tells me everything about you. And so, you know, part of it, my heart says, you know, I'm glad I did that. Other part of me says, I wish I would have just said, you know, F this and, and rematched him, you know, you know, six months later. And I'm mad I never did. I was so mad the way that fight went and the way the stuff that worked out with the money. And there's a lot of, you know, things that I don't want to get into that I didn't want to rematch him. And to this day, I wish I would have Were you embarrassed him. at all? I was embarrassed, man. I, my, my does plan, it still fuck with you? It sure does. It does? Yeah. How many years has it been? 10. And it was it just, it was just, it was just 10 here in fact. Well, when, when, when your buddy Brinkley still sends you the picture of the fight of like the punch that broke your nose every Valentine's day with hi buddy, love you. Um, yeah, it messes with you. He does that. Oh, he does. He, he's sick. He's sick in the head. <laughs> he did just in the, just on a normal, normal Saturday night, he'll send a he'll picture of one of the uppercuts that's got my head up in the air, you know? And of course I respond with an uppercut that his head's in the air and we do this little dance. And so I would love to this day, I tell you this friend as friends as you know, we're very good friends. If we could put a ring in your backyard and just invite some friends and family, no TV, no, I would, I would fight his ass for 12 rounds right here for free. For free. Okay. <laughs> just because he made a comment in the paper that still burns me to this day. He said on camera, if I fought Joey Gilbert a hundred times, I beat him a hundred times. And he even knows that's not a fair statement. I and mean, we've sat around, he laughed about it. He thought, I thought you'd say something after that, but I was so mad. And again, it just goes to show ego, you know, pride. I mean, I should have immediately rematched and made made the 160 and, and, and beat his butt, man. But I didn't. So. So has that fight propelled you in life the way is your, is your drive in life a lot to do with your fight career and not meaning that if you weren't a boxer, you wouldn't be successful, but that determination to even, I, I was fourth row that night. I watched that fight yeah. punch for punch. And to this day, I think that you were wrong to go on, but I'm not, yeah. I wasn't in your boots. I, I would think that your dad probably wanted you to quit. Um, has that made life easier on you as far as the things you face now? Like nothing oh, yeah. can really become a problem. When you, when you go through something like that, where every punch, you know, you feel like a lightning bolt. You said you felt it in your balls at one time. Yeah. yeah. Like, but went out my sack and out my heel. I don't know what it was, man, but those, and, and of course, Brinkley saying, Joey, your nose is broken. Crack, crack. And I mean, they would hit. And, you know, even with putting your gloves up in front of your face to stop it, your gloves are still going into your face. And I'm thinking, like, when is this going to numb? Usually, you know, you break your nose, it numbs, it just stops hurting. But it just kept hurting, man. And so I remember thinking a couple times through that, no, I'm not. You know, and now I, you're right. There have been times in my life where whether I've been up skiing or I've been snowing or whatever, where things get tough, and it's nothing, dude. I mean, it's you make it through that. And I'll never forget, I weighed 162 pounds when I walked over for that fight because I got on the scale you know, in our weight to weigh-ins were 163. Brinkley was up at the 78 range by then. I weighed what I weighed. I was actually lost a pound from weigh-ins to when I got in the ring. But when I weighed myself, when I got back from the hospital after the IVs, I was 152 pounds. So I lost 10 pounds between sweat and fluids and blood that night in that ring. And I just, you know, 
Um, I'm tremendously proud of myself for doing it. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, like I said, if, if I went back and did it again, I definitely would have rematched him. Whether or not I stopped that fight, I don't think you could have stopped me in that fight. There just was no stop. But I think I would have definitely rematched Would him. you let your daughter watch that fight on video right she's now? She's already seen it. She hates seeing it, but she's watched it. She had to watch it. People would talk about it. Do you it. hate seeing it? No, you know what, man? I don't. I, I hate I hate how um, I didn't. I Well, I mean, when Brinkley tells you, when he says, you know, man, you had me out twice in that fight, you didn't even realize it. You ran away, and it was because I couldn't breathe in between shots. So I was running away, coughing up blood, and, and trying to stick to this routine this coach and I had about running Burt Brinkley around, getting his legs tired. If anything, I wish I would have trusted more in myself and just stepped up toe-to-toe -to -toe and fought him because I know I would have won that war of attrition. It was clear then with that broken nose I wasn't quitting, and I had him hurt and didn't even realize it. And this is him telling me this from you how know, from what it was it a body shot or body anything? shot and then catching him with a couple straight jabs where he said dude you wobbled me and you ran and i just was like damn it man so you know it just uh you know I'll, I'll always remember it it's something i'll never i'll never stop thinking about but um you know it taught me a lot man it taught me you know you just don't quit and so i do carry that forward in life and with your moving forward in life do you do you see yourself ever what does the word retirement mean to you as far as at 42 years old, do you ever see a life of where you could stop doing what you're doing or waking up and having something to accomplish every day? No and way. I want to, I want to go out Never. on the, I want to leave this podcast with this sediment because I want to come back and talk about a couple things. The state of Reno, our hometown, the infrastructure, the business model around here, what's going on around here? Are you happy with it? Do you see improvements that could be made? How do we get improvements or potential improvements made? And you're doing things business-wise in this local community that I'm really proud to call your friend to see you doing it. Are you jumping into everything that you can? Is your mind very keen on the business deals that you're taking? Do you take them built on a potential ROI? Do you take them built on on low risk do you take them built on man this might be fun for a minute i was really surprised to see the last one i want to talk to you a little bit about that next time but what what drives you to get so diversified in business when you really don't have any experience in certain areas or are you educating yourself so much so quick in these different areas to where you know there's going to be a payout in all of this why are you getting so diversified in so many different things <clears throat> and not just with investment, but it seems like you're going to have to put some time into some of these. Yeah. You know, I mean, if I could back up for one, for one second, I want to say this about the fight career and about athletics. You know, if there's one thing I could have done or I would have done differently, it would have been poor, put more of a focus on my, on my athletic, on my boxing career. There's so many distractions. Now you're promoting this, you got your Instagram, you got your sponsors. And I was trying to control too much. I remember Sylvester Stallone saying to me one day, he said, so it sounds like you're pushing, pulling, dragging, steering, packing, and unloading the Joey Gilbert bus, you know, all yourself. You need to get some more people on your team. And I, I was. I was trying to promote fights. I was trying to do this. And so I, my, my, my advice to those athletes out there, those young athletes, even those pros, if you're a pro out there, I don't care who you think you are, man, love it. Love your time right now. You know, immerse yourself in your sport. Get better in your sport. Everything else is going to be there. It's not going anywhere. And by being the best in your sport, you will have access to all those other amazing opportunities. So don't sort change yourself. Don't think that by promoting this thing and getting one more Instagram post. No, no. Hone your sport, man. Hone your sport. Get great. Be the best at what you do and everything else will fall into place. And so, you know, when you say to me, you know, then taking into Reno, why do I do what I do? Well, I also believe
that, you know, I've got a couple buckets that are my, my, that I'm filling up that I know are my long-term buckets. My law firm is doing well. Obviously I got in the cannabis space a long time ago. That's doing quite well. And then I was, I, I look for other things. There's a lot of things I get into. I'm not expecting a dime for, for example, redirect athletics. It's a nonprofit gym south of town that works with at-risk at kids. You know, that's just something that I do. That's, it feels good for me, for my soul. I know I can make a difference. I know I'm impacting young lives there. So that the ROI in that is, is, is my effect on the community and my participation in the community. Look, there's a lot we can do here in Reno and in this town. I hope we keep doing more. But, you know, like I just said earlier, we're, we need more athletic fields. We need more sporting programs. We need more mentorship. We need to make sure that these kids can get out and take, you know, we, we, we sell this area to everybody about work, live, you know, play here or whatever it is. It's the little thing. Well, then why, why, aren't, we, why aren't we doing that to our own? You know what I'm saying? Let's give everybody the ability to work, live, play here in our own backyard. Give them access to those athletics. Give them access to the resources they need, whether it's putting a new stretch of highway or a new connector system or better public transportation or, or better programs for kids. I, I'd like to see more money and more, more time spent developing that. And so with that, I would say I'm, I'm proud to be a part of this community. I'll always give back to this community. This community built me. I mean, my, my amateur fights were fought at the University of Nevada. I grew up working, you know, f you know, fighting and working, you know, through the El Dorado Hotel Casino, which is like a family organization to me. Obviously, they've gotten so big, but we're eternally blessed here, man. We've got a small niche, you know, group of people, you know, influencers that are that are willing to talk to you. I mean, you mean whether Republican or Democrat, you know, I walked up in the airport to Steve Sisolak, our new governor, and said, you know, Governor, I'm Joey Gilbert. And he said, Joey, hey, how are you? I see you on the billboards. You know, I said, sir, I just wanted to let you know that you know um I, I ran Trump's campaign here in the in the state, but I don't I don't play that game. You're our governor. I'm here to help however you can. If there's anything I can do to move any of your agenda forward, let me know. And he said after the session, let's make sure we get together. And so that's what I think Nevada's about. That's what I think we're about here. You know, we all have our own political preferences or ideals, but we want to see everybody do well. I think that at all 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 boats, you know, rise with that tide. I want to see everybody go up. So I'm just doing my part, man. I'm doing I'm working in areas I'm comfortable in, but then like you said, you touched on, you know, candle vino or something like that where something I've never had anything to do with, that's more back in a friend that I've had for a long time with something he wanted to do and something that on my end as an attorney, how can I add a little value, take a small part of it, stuff we've had discussions about, you know, I like being a part of things where people are passionate in it. And yeah. so again, I would take an encounter to do something with you making very little money to no money because of your passion and because of the fun I could have in it versus, yeah, I can make a lot of money with this guy, but it's not really fun and it doesn't do anything for me. So, I mean, I'm going to go where I can think I can have an impact and where I think I can have some fun. I like that. I like that. So right now you would say that you're in your prime. I don't think I'm in my prime yet as a businessman. I like that. So you're thinking that you, what, what, I, I don't want to get into business right now because I know you got to go. I know you're very busy, but I want to do on our next session or on our next podcast. I want to talk about the mindset that it takes to do what you're doing because you're juggling a lot. You got a lot of buckets. And on top of that, inside of those buckets is a lot of stuff going on that you have yeah. to manage. And like you just said, that quote from Sly, I get in that position a lot. You're packing, you're pulling, you're driving, you're, you're doing all this stuff on your own. It's not that you're a control freak. It's not that you're a micromanager. It's just that mentality that you want to be the guy driving it. And it's hard to give up some of those reins. But as you diversify, you can only do so much in life. True. Plus, you got your daughter. 
You got your well-being, your fitness, your all of the stuff that you're doing as far as the Joey Gilbert, uh, your body goes and your mind goes there. And then on top of that, the personal stuff that we go through as human beings sure. that can tear us up in a heartbeat. Absolutely. So there, there, there's a lot of stuff that people look out from the outside and go, man, that, I've said this before a hundred times, that oh, fucking yeah. Joey Gilbert, he's so arrogant. I'm like, no, really? He's not, dude. He's, yeah, you know, he, I always say something about those people, Chad. I said, anybody that's ever said something like that has never sat down with me for five minutes because if they hit, if they did, they wouldn't think But isn't, isn't the ideology of a hater like the worst thing you can fall absolutely. into? Yeah. I just can't stand that. It's absolutely true, that. man. And I'll just say this, you know, I, I'm now looking at, let me, let me back up. When I was going to retire from boxing or when I was, you know, used to talk about retiring from boxing, I used to say to my family, I'd say to my significant other, I'd say, you know, um, I want to be, you know, once I'm done with boxing, I want to be the world champ of whatever business I'm in. I'm going to treat it just like I treat boxing. I'm going to prepare for it. I'm going to go in there and bust my butt. I'm going to train. I'm going to get better. I was an English literature major. Okay. I went to law school. I have no business training. I have no, no business management degree. I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, spell balance sheet, let alone read one back in the day. So a lot of this for me has been on the job training. I mean, I think, you know, there's a great book by a guy named Keith Cunningham, you know, you called the stupid tax. And I think I paid that stupid tax. I think we all have where, you know, you're learning on the job on your dollar and you do things the wrong way. And, you know, you could have done it so much better, but I also think having the right team in place is everything. I've got a phenomenal staff that backs me up. And I think if you've got a good team and you're willing to learn, man, you're willing to be coached even at this age. So when I say at 42, I haven't done anything yet. When, you know, when I hit my 50s, 55, I believe I'll have all the knowledge I need to really, really crush it in business. But I, every day I'm learning, man. And I felt like a, a novice every day that I was in the boxing gym up until the day I retired. I felt like I could learn something every day. I could improve every day. And I don't feel any different about business now. I feel like I'm, you know, I definitely feel like I'm behind. You know, I've done classes from every Tony Robbins class you can think of. I just took this four-day MBA class down at the University of at Texas and Austin last year. I mean, I go to these financial, I mean, I'm trying to educate myself on being better and being able to do better, do more for myself, but by no means am I there. So I just look forward to getting better, man. That's badass, bro. It's really cool. I mean, it's motivating, it's inspirational. And I think that's what people like you are supposed to do. I think that you have to figure out, not, I'm not telling you that you have to do this. I'm saying that People deserve to hear the story. And I'm so glad that I have it on here, part two now, because I think that the story is everything. For sure. The end game is fine, but really you're just going home in a box. That's yep. all that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. The story that you're living is so cool. And the way that you incorporate your friends, your family, your mentors, the community, going up to the governor in the airport, him saying what he said about your billboards, the way that you're raising your daughter, the the fun and the excitement that I see when you're with her, the pride you take with her, the ski hills, the, the trips to San Diego, the trips that you take with her to Disney, where everything that you do, I think that, that there's a right way to live life. And I, I was talking to the Pendolas before this is that in no way, shape or form am I trying to come off of like, this is the only way or that you better do it this way and you better be more like me or it's not about that. It's, there is a right way to live life. And it seems like to me, like everything that you did in that night against Brinkley and how you got every single thing out of your body that night, even though the fight didn't go the way you wanted it, whether you thought that your coaching was wrong or the way that your, your, the way that the, that your game, your approach was to that fight, 
you got everything out of your body that most people would never even take the risk of getting out of their body. And I think that that's what the secret of life is, is that it's easy to go through the motions, but until you can really sit down and go, dude, Gilbert really is doing it. He is living it every day. To me, that's what life is. And that's the right way to live. Whether it's parenting, whether it's working out, whether it's business, whether it's defending somebody in the courtroom, there's a right way to do it. And that's waking up. And you had a quote one time of saying, if I put my feet on that ground out of bed, I'm going to go and I'm going to F I'm going to yeah. dominate all day. Yep. I think, I think the most important thing I could say to anybody right now is it's, it's, it's what we talked about earlier today. And it's these cell phones, these smartphones, these tablets and devices. You got to try and be present. If you can be present and you can show up, you know what I mean? Truly show up wherever it is you need to be in life. Show up that day and, and, and do your best. You're going to be okay, but you, you got to show up, man. And it, it's, it's no different than we just said. Like as long as I swing the, my feet out of bed and I put them on the ground and I've got my plan. I mean, I, I know what I'm doing. And I just started in motion. You're not stopping me, but you, you, you know, some days it's hard to get up, man. Some days, you know, you'd be, you just had your teeth kicked in, you know I mean? For me, for example, you know, here we are, you see a post of mine on Instagram. You asked me if something going on. I've, I've been in the same relationship 18 years, you know, separated for the first time in 18 years. So stuff's not easy. And you know, when, when that, when that flattens you comes out of left field and, and it wasn't something expected, you know, the way it ended, um, yeah, man, but to, to put on that, you know, to make sure that your daughter sees you strong and that you're moving on and you're still making it to the gym and you're still doing what you need to do and you're still treating her the same way and you're showing up for her and she's seeing the best of you, that, that, that's where it really counts, man. And I think, like I said, we're all going to face adversity and, you know, we, we laugh about it. There are punchlines in movies, but it's not about, you know, get, it's not about getting knocked down. You're, you're all, we're all going to get knocked down. You're, we're all going to fail, man. I've probably failed more times than anybody else would ever imagine. I just get back up, man. I can't tell you how many of my freaking stupid investment things you did not work. You know, didn't get paid back. Loans out to friends didn't come back. But then you know what, man? I'm not going to let it change who I am. I'm not going to let it change the type of person I am in this world. So you just keep keeping on, man. And I always figure I can make more money. I mean, we'll have more projects. You know, my friend Chad will call me up with something exciting to do. And, and that's, that's what I look forward to, man. The good times. I love it. And I wanted to say thank you for your help with what I just went through. For sure. We handled it the right way. We absolutely did. Sometimes you need somebody from the outside to look at something that's not so closely attached to the touch points of it. Agreed. And when you and, and McQuaid looked at it, you guys put my head back on straight and look at here I am five, six months later and I'm winning. You're winning. And you're, and I'm going to continue to do exactly. And, and I live my life a lot of the same way you did it. And it, even though I'm, I'm two years older than you, a lot of what you did in your career motivated me. I watched every one of your fights live. I went to air from Mont blue, which was Caesars back then to the grand Sierra to air, to the, to the event center downtown. I took pride in going to the fights. Yeah. I would find Connors. I would sit who, who is your partner in, in cafe vino, like, uh, uh, candle, vino, candle vino. Um, I took pride in being there, being present at those fights, because to me, that was a part of who I was, is that if, and, and I know you a lot better now than I knew you then. Back then it was just, hey, what's up? We, you went to Minogue, I was at McQueen. We just knew each other through the community, but I still took pride in my bro, Joey, representing the way you did. And I think that that's, when you talk about your investments and giving money here and not getting paid back here and giving this loan here, I was, I'm the same way. Mm -hmm. I failed so many freaking times and people look in from the outside of that window right now and they're watching us talk and they're like, oh, you got the dream life. You get to do this, you get to do that. You got to hang out with it. And it's not that easy. No, I'm humbled by it, I'm humbled. But people don't understand the feeling that I had when I went to watch you 
fight. I didn't go watch Joey Gilbert fight because I was going to go there and analyze this fight and break it down and try to become part of the team. I went there because I truly felt connected to you in your, your, your journey through all of this, watching the contender every week. I went down to Vegas with Marini and sure. watched and, and, and saw you down there, even though you didn't fight that day, but I was one to be a part of what you were living. And I think that that is a big part of life is by the support that you can give somebody, even if they don't know about it, you're just, I was quiet about it, but I was motivated. I was inspired by it. And to this day I am. That's why I tell people when they say, I go, dude, you don't even know the guy. I work out with the guy. He pushes me harder than anybody's ever pushed me in a, in a good way. And I really feel like a life that you're living is very inspirational. So when I did see that post, first off, I was really surprised. Second off, I was really like, something's got to be up because that's not Joey. And third, I didn't understand where you were coming from to do it that way. So I, I reached out to you like, and all it took was one, one word back. You said, I'm fine. I go, okay. Yeah. That's all it took because I, I wasn't worried about you. I was concerned, but you, you get to that point to where you don't really have to, to, to understand. I mean, you're never going to understand somebody unless you really sit down and get in the weeds with them. Like I talked about before and know that these guys are just like me. You might have been a world-class badass boxer with all the notoriety and fame in the world. And you know what? That fame went away. Mm -hmm. And you said, you know what? I'm going to go over here and I'm going to start building. And I'm building. I'm going to get back up. I'm going to build. I'm going to build. I'm going to get back up. I'm going to keep building. And that's what life's all about, man. You can build or you can shut the doors and keep shutting doors and turn people off and piss people off and burn bridges. And that's not the right way to go. No way. So I think that your message, that's why I love having you on here is that when I, when I write the description for this podcast... I just write these words, listen to this podcast, because that's how important it is to me for people to just hit the button and listen to what people are doing and, and what's going on out there. Otherwise, you're just closed off to it. Yeah. If people heard your story or watched a fight or, or listened to your knowledge of the fight game, it's inspirational. Then you hear you talk about the way you parent. It's inspirational. The way you do your business, it's inspirational. It's not phony. It's not no, fake. Right. And when you think about Joey Gilbert, if people say he's cocky, I would say, no, he's authentic. Now, we talked about this and I'm going to end it like this because I always think about you because it just happened to me the other day. Somebody comes up to me. We're sitting in a, an environment. We're in California. We're in Chico. I'm minding my business. Just staying quiet because I knew it was coming. I knew, hey, Belding, just, just saw that you were doing this. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, I didn't want to be the center of attention. But I knew that if I told the story that I just experienced, I was going to become like, it was going to be the most interesting part of that, you know, that sitting that we were having. I decided to stay quiet, okay? I just minded my business. I said, oh yeah, you know, I've been, been working hard, been running. I get a message from the guy that took me to this deal saying that this, this guy was a farmer. He said that I was the most arrogant, cocky, didn't give him the time of day, and that he thought that I was a piece of shit. And I'm like, dude, can't win, I dude. can't it's win. And I remember sword, you telling me that in, the, in, the first, in, in our first talk. And I was like- I remember saying, saying I, people say something, so Joey, what are you up to? And I think, uh, and that's how I was. If and I then, tell you all this, you're going to think I'm monopolizing yeah. the conversation. I'm tooting what, my own horn. That's so I keep I thought. quiet. So then because I kept quiet, I was a jerk. <laughs> and that's and this guy comes back and tells the guy that's my friend, don't ever bring him around again for the way he treated me. And I'm like, dude, I was just trying to give him respect and not be the center of attention. Yeah, but they wanted to hear it. <laughs> I, I, I just, I, I was thinking of you when it happened because I got the text from my buddy going, this guy's boom, 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 boom. And I'm like, oh my God, yeah. I would never disrespect a farmer or anybody for that no. fact it, it, because he wanted me to tell him a story about what I just got to do. Like, rah, rah, look at me. And I didn't want to do it. 
Yeah. I didn't want to do it. So anyway, I, I just think that it's cool that you have that outlook on life and that you're able to say, Hey, I, I, you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. And I'm going through a lot of that same stuff in my life and weaving in and out. And I just want you to know, it's inspiring to me to work out with you. It's inspiring me to call you a friend. Thank you. And I think that go, the way that I am, it makes me better friend to you knowing that, you know, that I'm honest when I say that you it's, it's inspirational. It's not fake. So I appreciate you being here and I, I'm excited to see you kicking ass and next time I do want to get more into the entrepreneurial spirit of America and what it takes, because when you went on campus at UNR, I don't think that you had the entrepreneurial spirit and you might have, but I think that what you've built now, you look at it and you're like, Joey's a, he's a full bona fide businessman and it's badass. And I can tell by the cufflinks. Thanks man. You got the Tony ring. You got a, thumb, a pinky ring on too. No, no Marini. Pinky what is ring. that ring? That's my championship ring. That's NCAA championship. Well, it's got a couple things on there. It symbolizes the three national titles, the golden gloves, and then the WBO NABO belt and the WBC USNBC belt. So geez, like that's a little a conversation ring. piece. I like Pretty it. It needs to go it. on this table. dude. Yeah. It needs to go on this table. I do need to get something of you for my table a signed picture or a, a something like some tape off of a glove. All right, we'll do something. I need something. I got some really I cool. got a bunch of stuff at home. Yeah, don't forget, please. Um, Joey Gilbert, guys, check him out. If you ever want to co learn a cool story, just look at some of his fights. Look, re read up on him on, on Wikipedia, on Google, wherever you can find him. Everybody has a story, and I think that that's very important to get to know. And Joey is continuing to write the story. Um, I'm not saying by any means that he reinvents himself. He stays true to this community, to his daughter, to his friends. And, and if you just hung out with him for one hour in the gym and saw his love and passion for life working out, hell, Health, other people's well-being, the way that he cheers people on in the gym, the way that he gets done and his heart rate's at 180 and he grabs onto somebody's waist and pushes with them to get that sled across the line. Not many people do that. They say they think they can do it, but until you really see it being done, you, you, you're going to question yourself like, man, I wish I could get that more, that much more hyped up about putting my feet on the ground every morning and living life to the fullest. So Joey Gilbert, you're the man, brother. Thank you. Thank man. you very much. We'll have him back on here. Tom, as soon as I say this real quick, please play that song by Leith Lofton. What you going to do when the money's all gone, but guys, please go check out NAWTC.com. The 2019 North American whitetail championships brought to you by bone collector, as well as our friends in Kansas at wicked outfitters. 14 regions across America and Canada, $300 gets you signed up and qualified for your chance to win $50,000 cash money for archery deer hunting. It's ethical, it's safe, it's good for the sport, it's being done the right way, and it's going to keep deer hunting, conservation, and hunting as a lifestyle at the forefront. NAWTC.com, the 2019 North American Whitetail Championships. Thank you all very much for all of your support of This Life Ain't For Everybody, The Foul Life, and all of our brands here at Banded. We're very proud of them, and we could not do it without all of your support. Again, Tom, please play What You Gonna Do When The Money's All Gone by my good friend, Leith Lofton, a.k.a. Haas. And by the way, y'all be on the lookout for his new album. It just got recorded in Zach Brown's Southern Ground Studio in Nashville, Tennessee, Music City. It will be released soon. We're working on the cover art now. Thank you all very much. Peace out. I'd rather be poor living off in a hole Rich as hell without a soul Life on earth won't last too long So what you don't do when the money's all gone